This isn't a completely dead eye. It still works a bit. The problem is, the only thing I can see with it is Joey Cusack. And it can see right through him. Right through your husband, Edie. I see what's inside him, what makes him tick. He's still the same guy. Yeah, yeah. Spoil. Be careful. Spoilers are a little bit for uh, history of violence. Yeah, a little, little bit of spoilers. But we'll get there. So you guys just hang tight. Yeah, from Ed Harris's character in History of Violence, Carl uh, Fogarty. Carl Fogarty, one of the uh, scariest characters that I've uh, witnessed in a movie in a in a long time. Interesting. Uh, quite terrifying that man is if he showed up at my doorstep and told me i was somebody else i'd probably believe him out of the sheer fear going through my body um so yeah welcome to the 66th episode of the neon crew podcast my name is kyle and i'm mclean what better way to celebrate 66 with cronenberg because we got double cronenberg this episode yeah we just need one more six i know right well we've got a while before we get to that <laughs> yeah, yeah true and at the rate we're going we'll only be 238 years old yeah probably but by then they will have figured out how immortality works they will have unlocked the secrets well we'll, we'll have to buy it and just go through the infinity pool to get it oh yeah exactly <laughs> They'll let us, as two stupid ass podcast hosts, <laughs> use the resources to become immortal. <laughs> we'll be the first ones to test that. Uh, well, this this podcast will span time. So, well, speaking of spanning time, oh, I've got a bit of news and also kind of a topic that I want to bring to your attention. Okay, get your thoughts on. Yeah. So, it was announced recently that Gladiator Two. You know, Jesus. we've yeah, yep. I knew that was going to be the reaction when I read that. <laughs> um, it was announced that Gladiator Two was going to be a thing, directed by Ridley Scott, upcoming movie with Paul Mescal, and I guess it's got Denzel Washington in it as well. Yeah, and uh, the budget for it ballooned. Surprise, surprise. Uh, so it went from a hundred and sixty million dollars to, I want you to guess the amount. You said ballooned. Yes. 160. Yep. I'm going to go to 250. <laughs> 310 Jesus million dollars. Right. And I want to bring this up not only because I think that in itself is just a ridiculous number for a movie to balloon to that is like just kind of like a it passion doubled. project from Ridley Scott and it doubled and that's not even considering like the marketing cost, but I feel like that's a very kind of I don't want to say irresponsible, but like, why is the budget so big? Why are budgets so big lately for movies? Uh, I, you know, I don't know what causes. I, I go back to our discussion on uh, episode one. Uh, Throwing the, it back. The well, the fan, the the Phantom Menace one. Oh, that episode. Yeah, not oh. not not only God forgives, but okay. that one. And you try to. Looking at what goes in with the prop designs, the sets, scheduling. I don't know if these actors get paid more if it runs over over schedule. Um, CGI getting incorporated now, uh, depending on where they're filming at. Maybe taxes getting involved. So you know, I it, for it to double though, it's that's more alarming to me. That it sounds even shittier than. Sorry, pardon my French. It sounds even worse than what we had already kind of were expecting with it. Well, speaking of parting my French, what was the budget for Napoleon? I, I would have guessed like two hundred something. That has, that has to be two hundred at like 
you know, at the most, 200-something. And I don't even know if that movie cracked 200 million at the box office. It's Ridley Scott has got to be using his name to pull some serious dough. All right. Either that or some some producer on there is forking it up. So the budget for Napoleon between 130 and 200 million. So you were right on the money. Uh, and the box office 220.7 million. So it didn't even really make a profit. No, not now when you figure in distribution and marketing, right? That they right. don't. The good rule of thumb is for the budget is you take it and you double it, and that's what the marketing costs are on top of the budget for the film. Oh, Jesus. So Ridley Scott, ostensibly, is oh going to God. have to make $800 million at least to break even with Gladiator Who's, 2. Uh, does it, uh, I guess I, I was about to say, I got to imagine there's a producer on there or someone because, like, I, I, I don't really know, and maybe if you guys listen, you'll be able to chime in, specifically looking at my brother. Um for why budgets because i gotta imagine it's got to deal with scheduling and like you think of these projects right and you have a, a the project manager is essentially the director so if they're running over budget i mean you got to put everything into like feeding the people housing them you have all the all the extra not extras like in the um acting world but the 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 production extras that help out and i'm not right. i don't want to say it in a calloused way um no no i totally get what you I, mean i don't exactly know the titles of everyone though but like you're paying that they might be hourly so like when you talk about something it's definitely dealing with scheduling and if they're not hitting scheduling that probably tells me that someone got into a beef with someone mm. or there's rewrites going on and they're bringing everyone back on yeah like was it i'm wondering if it's just sort of a product of how much manpower and yes. how much resources and CGI and like all these different things are just going into the movie wholesale, or if there was some development trouble along the way, yeah, and it kind of pulled a water world where it's like, okay, we have to like double the budget now because something fucked up severely, and we yeah. have to do like reshoots and rewrites and all this shit. Like, I'm sure we're gonna hear about it after the movie gets released, yeah. but it's just it's one of those trends in Hollywood that I've noticed. Especially this past year, when it comes to budgets for films. And I feel like it would be one thing if we could see where the budget went, right? In terms of not only, like, the quality of the special effects, but the quality of the movie overall. Yeah. But then you get movies like... Uh, you, you good? Yeah, did you hear? That wasn't my back. <laughs> yeah, no, that was Mac rolling the chair. <laughs> yeah. uh, I th we're still recording, so we're good. We're good. There was no delay. Uh, if this place catches on fire, we'll know whose fault it is. Insurance companies. Uh, the people doing the water line. <laughs> exactly. Bill just... Uh, not to dox myself. I might censor that. Um, <laughs> in case the one dude in Denmark gets an idea. Right. Um, but no, it... it we get movies like Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny or the Marvels or Aquaman 2 The Lost Kingdom where like you look at the ballooned budgets of those films and you go okay where did the money go like why why are these movies so subpar not only in terms of like just overall narrative and story quality but like just special effects I can't look at anything in the Marvels and think oh this is like a nearly 300 million dollar movie no I I like I said, I mean, I, and if I had to guess with those, it, it shocks me because you have Ridley Scott, who's an accomplished director. Like those that you labeled off, I would have to imagine are newer directors coming to. You got, yeah. I mean, like these guys are coming up. They have to get 
all these people in front of green screens. You're acting on on air, essentially. You have people that you're like uh, operating with that you don't really have chemistry with, you know. So like, I gotta imagine like, and it, it fits back. It fits back into the scheduling aspect of it, where you might waste a whole day trying to grab something on green screen and have to do it again. Yeah. And then you're looking at someone that's now like going back to the Star Wars. We're in the editing bay. Hey, we got two good minutes of this here. I want to splice that with the eight good minutes here, mm-hmm. you know. And and now that guy's going. Well, you just doubled my work from four hours to eight hours, and this is for a five minute scene, you mm-hmm. know. And and I would have to imagine there's a lot of that going on in terms of like Hollywood now. They, I don't know if it's just ran, running rampant or where money's coming from. I mean, it's just it seems ludicrous, like. Back in the day, if something went over budget, like I feel like you'd be hamstrung. Like, hey, if this doesn't make the money back, you're done. Yeah, you know. And now it's just like, like they would never give you a check again for anything yeah. more than like twenty million dollars. We've talked, we've talked about directors where they've gone either over budget or they weren't even close to hitting, you know, the the um the marginal line of, of making their money back or just breaking zero and. We don't really see them anymore. It would be interesting if this was in a time where it was like pre-COVID, where we were getting movies back to back to back that were like making billions of dollars, that were like huge event films, that were making tons of money. Like that would be one thing in of itself. But I don't see the justification for these huge budgets in a time where like we haven't really fully recovered from the events of covid affecting movie theaters in order to really like kind of like rein it in like that yeah uh and i'm also thinking too there might be they might have some built-in stuff here or maybe that there's really seeing that the subscription services are fronting a lot of money or maybe not fronting is the right word but like they're they're capturing a lot of what they're not getting in theaters you, you know think like, maybe like the revenue from the streaming services after it comes out in theaters whatever the residuals yeah some of it yeah like paramount might already own the rights to gladiator too so we'll release it in theaters we'll get what we get there and now you guys are gonna see you know five percent or one uh, percent of total revenue that comes in through subscriptions yeah. like i'm curious as to this is the part of the game that we're not really accustomed to. Yeah, it's still fairly new. Yeah, because I mean, they we've only it's only been talked about happening, and now all of a sudden, I it mean, doesn't help that Netflix doesn't release its financial records well, typically. They? So, so they have to pay taxes, right? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. That's ludicrous. Yeah. No, you're fine. I mean, and that's what that that's my thought on it at least. Because I mean, if we're starting to see some of these things uh, balloon like this. The studios might just be saying, hey, whatever it takes, because we just need it to hit Paramount Plus or HBO Max, yeah. or we just need it to hit one of the Hulu, you know, like as long as we can get it on there, we'll capture some of whatever we're not going to get in theaters. Yeah, they might be just throwing money because they know that streaming services are going to pick up the rest of the revenue, make up for some of the profits. I mean, shit, Morbius became profitable after it went to Netflix. But then also maybe they're, like you said, doing it too. So that way it's kind of a gamble. Like we throw all this money at this thing. Maybe eventually it'll come out on top and we can get movies back to where they used to be. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I haven't really, I haven't really thought about it, but I mean, a lot of the time the, the movies that aren't that good are the ones that always go over budget and there's a reason why it goes over budget, you know? Yeah. 
I want to say the Godfather went over budget, and I think there are times where it might necessitate, hey, we scoped this out at a lower cost than what it was. And but you know, back then directors had to put their name to the stake. Yeah. You know, like when Coppola did it, I mean it was this movie will be successful or else I won't ever direct again. You mm-hmm. know, that's why you gotta do it. Cause there was like it was a pretty high stakes game at that point. I mean, yeah. if you if you didn't come out with something good, you know. Yeah, there seems to be more than ever in Hollywood, like a big safety net for directors and writers and filmmakers in general to take these big risks and then if they fuck up it's not the end of their career necessarily. Right. They might not be able to like make movies as big as that ever again, but like, you know, they still have a place and they still have a name. I mean, shit, look at the writers for Madam Web. They did all sorts of movies before that and they still have careers. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, I think there is too something to be said with like cuz some of the movies that you named off went to um Disney. You know, you got Marvel yes. Studio. Two out of those three movies probably went to disney plus right and then you know and then aquaman i think dcu's got something in with hbo max so um it makes you wonder too i mean i think i don't know if they're just like i I, we talked about this numerous times before after was it was it feige that did the marvel universe Mm -hmm. right it was like well once his vision's done what are we going to get with Marvel products? Like, I feel like right now they're just like, we're a cash cow and we could care less. And I think it's really hurting the the product, but they're not seeing the backlash from fans because people are watching whatever comes out. Right. They're too busy seeing the waterfalls of money that are coming down in front of their eyes. Yes. <laughs> cool. Well, we'll have to wait and see how Gladiator 2 uh, <laughs> Yeah, <does>. we will. <laughs> I don't, maybe, I might be like coming in one day and just being like, I really got to eat my words. Yeah, you got to eat crow. Yeah. As you've said uh, before. That'll, the, the, that movie was so good. Yeah. <laughs> Best of 2025? Dude, I can't wait till that thing freaking just comes out and flops in three weeks. I'm, I'm so curious. I can't. I, I mean, I might be eating crow by saying this, but I can't imagine it being profitable, especially with that budget. Like no, no one's going to it, Jesus. No one's going to theaters now. So I mean, I mean, and I don't know how the the revenue comes out or the profits come out or like whatever it gets reported on. Maybe Ridley Scott is hoping that by then he'll reach like Taylor Swift concert status, and then he can play Gladiator Two in a concert venue and make money that way. Someone, one of the streaming service people, are there and just say, "Finish it. Yeah, <laughs> just get it to the platform. Yeah." Just get it to the finish line, Ridley. It's like, uh, Freya, what's the dude's name in uh, Lord of the Rings 2? He had uh, uh, the the King of the Rohirrim and uh, Wormtongue or Snaketail or something like that. Oh, Wormtongue, yeah. Wormtongue, and he's whispering in the king's ear. That's Gandalf the Grey. We do not welcome him. Gandalf, Stormcrow, a truly good jest, sire. (laughs) Yeah. Lord of the Rings in the in the works eventually. Uh, eventually, eventually, that'd be like a Spider Man where I'd probably have to do multiple episodes. Um, so speaking of uh, uh, worm tongue, worms and tongues are both very gross, and you know what else is gross? A lot of the shit that happens in Infinity Pool. Let yeah. me tell you. Yeah, are you gonna do that? One? No, I get to do that. You get to do uh, Infinity Pool. Yes, yes. Let's pull it up here. Yes. Um, 
Yeah, because I forgot you recommended a history of violence that we'll talk about. Sometimes I recommend films that you have to think, did Mac recommend that or did Kyle recommend that? that I throw you a curveball every once in a while. That's That was a that was an interesting one. That's mm-hmm. a, Boy, that one's almost 20 years old. Um, Infinity Pool's not. It's almost 20 days old. Uh, longer than that. It's freshly birthed, much it, like some of the other things Jesus, in this film. Yes. Oh. Yeah, we'll get to it. Um, <laughs> spoilers coming up for Earn. Maybe I'll do that and then say that. All right. Uh, Infinity Pool, uh, 2023 film, came out in January and hit Hulu pretty quick. Uh, directed by directed and written by Brandon Cronenberg. Uh, I don't know if there was another writer associated or not. I don't think so. It's starring uh, Alexander Skarsgård as uh, James Foster, Mia Goth as Gabby Bauer, Cleopatra Coleman as M. Foster, and uh, a lot more unrecognizable names, but uh, Jaleel Lesper as Albin Bauer. Um, and essentially what it is is we get we get thrown into this little bit of an island resort that uh, James and M are visiting the Fosters as James is a... I don't want to say failed writer, but he hasn't written a book in six years. He's looking for some inspiration. So they go to the resort and he's hoping that he can get some real life events going on that will help him out with his book. And uh, he runs into uh, Gabby Bauer, played by Mia Goth, and they have a conversation and they kind of become friendly. And you can tell that there's some things going on and you're not really sure what's about to ensue as uh James becomes a little bit more infatuated with her and everything that's going on. Uh, they end up leaving the resort, which is a big time no-no, uh, in a someone's car. They go to the beach. Uh, they enjoy themselves, uh, one person specifically. And on the way back, James gets into an accident, drinking and driving, perhaps. Uh, and the police come and give him detain him and M essentially and say with a boatload of money we can make a duplicate of you and we can still get retribution you know the the kids of the family in this in this world are allowed to kill whoever killed a family member of theirs if there are our family members to uh, have someone killed or killing have carry carry out the execution carry out i like that yeah carry out the execution so we uh we get there with with james and they they front the money and and madness pursues yes so pursues um, ensues double sues triple sues man every type of sue yeah mary sue yeah (laughs) so i was trying to think if there was a susan in the thing i don't think so there might yeah uh the names kind of got lost on me once they hit the party yeah, um, when everything becomes literally a blur. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, so um, th- this movie, I just want to say this. I can I can say it. Uh, I, it came out in January, right? It hit theaters. I think it was January 23rd, something like that. Uh, 20, it says 27th, but for Canada, but I mean... <laughs> Not this again. This well, it's is funny because point all over. Well, the the Cronenbergs <laughs> are Canadian. Yes, that's what. So it was a. It, it made it to a film festival. Yes, yeah, Sundance it, Film Festival. Actually, only four days before January twenty second. They and there. So I read that there was an NC seventeen rating of this film, and he actually had to trim a bunch of stuff to get it to rated R to release it in theaters. But at Sundance, they released the NC seventeen mm. version, which I'm. 
uh, somewhat curious and not curious. Yeah, I didn't see anything as far as like differences or alternate scenes uh, when I read up about this film. There's not that much information about it that's I'm just sure readily available. Probably more tits and sex in it. Yeah, or violence. Re- you know, the the meat and potatoes. Yeah, of the film. what you want when you go to a Cronenberg film? <laughs> yeah, I want to <laughs> pull my dick out when I see this movie. <laughs> um, but. I so I in on Facebook I'd seen this thing and I'd only seen it's kind of funny like I and I don't know if everyone else is like this but like I I think I've seen enough films and like trailers and pictures and whatnot to get good senses of it now mind you I hadn't seen a trailer or anything for this just on Facebook and um a couple pictures or stills from the 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 uh, poster. I don't. I, I can't quite remember. But I, anyways, I was telling. I was telling Jasmine and my parents two different sets. I was like, this film is supposed to be like a surreal horror film. I'm actually proud of myself for uh, having seen only a couple stills and no like real video evidence to like almost get this on the head. You kind of get the vibe with it, and I think you know the name Cronenberg. If you're unless you're like not into movies that much, like you're gonna know that that name has an association. I had. And I might have. I don't want to say I had no idea, but I really, I don't think I, I, I knew much about this film. I think after you said it, I was like, that makes sense. But yeah, if you know the name Cronenberg, you probably have a pretty decent idea. I would say decent. I still was not overly prepared for everything. Yeah. But uh, I, I thought about my quote for the episode, just you know, being James. Oh my God! Yeah, Jamesy. <laughs> That's uh, Mia Goth and her lovely performance in the film. Uh, no, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. Where like I had a very peripheral experience with this film before watching it. Didn't really know that much about it, other than like seeing the poster and seeing other people's ratings and reviews on it. Uh, it being a little more around like the mixed range, like mixed to positive range. Oh, and uh, you know, this is a film that I think it has a lot going for it, but it's one of those films where, like, I kind of said before, like, the discussion could sway me. This could go, I think, either way for me in terms of like, <laughs> oh, this is this is like an entertaining film that has some obvious flaws, which I do think. Or maybe it's got a little bit more going on than what I think is happening on the surface. But I think we kind of have to talk this out. Yeah. This is one where, like, the discussion is going to unfold before me. uh, Well, so I had... This film's a mess. Uh, Agreed. Yes. This film's a mess. From what I read about Cronenberg, which made a lot of sense, is that... He got into a writer's block, so he came out with Possessor. He wasn't sure what he's going to do next, and um, this this film kind of started out from like a twenty minute short story. And he actually, when he was a kid, which I guess <clears throat> you know, it's one of the, it's funny too. Like when you talk about directors and you just think about people having money, they went down to the Dominican Republic and he went to a resort like this. He said it was really bizarre because you get down there, they blindfold you so you... Or no, they drive you in the middle of the night to the resort so you can't see everything around you, you know? Like, you get the moonlit night to kind of cascade over the the land or the terrain to see what you're driving into. He's like, you get to the resort, it's barbed wire fence all around you, you're not allowed to leave the resort. Mm. They set up a little town in the resort, much like the Chinese restaurant and the disco ball area or whatever they called it. Um, 
And he said, you know, they were there for 10 days or something like that. And then when they left, they go and they left in the middle of the day because you've already now seen you've already been part of this area. And he said, you're just driving by and you see all the slums and and the poverty and the the place was just, you know, like in the middle of nowhere. There's this Disneyland-esque area surrounded by people that are just struggling to live Mm -hmm. and that's where he got a lot of his inspiration but you can also tell too that with the writing that's about as far as the inspiration went and then it turned into i he i felt like there was a lot of different themes so strewn in here that's funny because the entire time i was watching this film like for the most part i kept thinking to myself where is this leading yes what's he trying to say with this movie what is the point yes and Kind of like, I'm kind of glad that I gave myself uh, a few days or like almost a week of time thinking about this movie and processing it because I think I watched it on Wednesday last week. So I've had some time to sit with it. And the most that I can come up with is just thinking about Brandon Cronenberg, you know, being the son of David Cronenberg. Yes. uh, You're going to have a lot to live up to because your dad already has such a big name. So... I'm thinking what happened with this movie is he kind of through Alexander Skarsgård's character did a self insert of this is how I feel currently. And this is how I would feel if I were going back in time to that vacation. I was thinking about just being stuck in this weird, uh, unflattering limbo. It's uh, where like, I have to essentially like create art and live up to my dad's name. And, People are going to tell me that I'm doing a great job. People are going to come up to me and say like, oh, I really like what you did. I really like this. Kind of the same way that Mia Goth went up to James and said, oh, I love your book. Yeah. But then it's kind of that experience that you have as an artist, especially when you live in the shadow of such a famous director where you make a movie and reviews come out and they are very critical of your work, not just from the film itself as a standpoint, but forever comparing it to the work of your dad. And yes. so that kind of like buries a lot of like the emotions that you have and the confidence that you might've gotten. If you weren't the son of David Cronenberg and you weren't like just trying to like claw your way up as an up and coming director on your own. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of those feelings reflected in that scene where uh, Mia Goth is like chastising him as they're walking and he's like, next to the car there's a yeah yeah 100% there's another scene too there that it's when it clicks for me what which is which one when she milked him (laughs) (laughs) I'm watching this I was like oh this is Cronenberg this is kind of going back to suckling at the mother's tea you know becoming birth upon rebirth or whatever you want to say um you know maybe he's finally feeling like he's shedding some of that skin or maybe he's just at at the lowest level of low and, and needing that comfort and this is where he can find it from yeah because maybe like i'm thinking the movie is sort of representative that way where he starts out he doesn't really think that highly of himself but he's looking for inspiration so yep. then some people come along and they kind of set him on this path to give him a lot of praise they yeah. give him a lot of like the compliments journey right and it's a lot of like surrounding yourself with people who are i don't want to say yes men but they essentially like sing your praises and they tell you you do a great job sycophants yeah and then all of a sudden you do something something happens and it quickly turns on you and that can be the experience of an artist 100 percent. oh yeah and i'm sure that that's what he was trying to convey 
with at least some of what this movie was going for. Some of it. I mean, I, and I'm not disagreeing because I think, like I said, there are a lot of different themes in this movie that I think <clears throat> that's why I called it a mess. I mean, he, I right. think he there's there's so much thrown in here between you have, you know, one of the things that happens early on is if you have enough money you know, you can get out of trouble. And it's kind of maybe a reflection of the world today where we see a lot of these people that do really dumb things, uh, things that, you know, with, with the law and justice shouldn't be shouldn't be condemned or looked, looked away from. And yet, if you have, you know, abundant amount of resources, you can pay your way out of trouble. And you get, to, you get into this lifestyle that the rich were into on this little island of, hey, we've got enough money, we can do whatever we want, look at us go. Um, and you know some of the things, and I, I really hadn't looked, really thought about the term at all. And I, I know I've heard it before, but hedonistic lifestyle. Yeah, you know, like and a lot of uh, of that going on, living simply up to the pleasures of the highest magnitude. You know, to say what it, you know. Anyways, uh, that was one of the themes that I was getting from the Cronenberg thing popped out. Uh, I'm trying to remember too. There's, I, I felt like there was something in there with him you know watching yourself die and i don't know if that was another. that was more of like the more kind of like i guess surreal maybe is not the word for it but like that kind of it almost felt like an extended episode of black mirror at points where it kind of makes you question like surreal and the, works well, fine i think yeah and the movie even like asked the same question with one of the characters is like how do you know that the person you watched died that was not an, the original an, you another great another point in the movie that they could have easily just focused on that right, right. Like, well it's one of those things where like like you said there's a lot going on it doesn't really feel like he's landing on one specific thing he's trying to touch on like at least three different things at once that we've talked about that I mean, we've talked be, about we, there could be more right and we could very well dig him up in this conversation but yeah. it's like none of these are really expanded on further past the surface level like right. they're conceptual they come up they're discussed and then they're quickly kind of just brushed aside there's really no deeper delving into it not that i think like a lot of movies need to delve that deep into it but with this one specifically i think it would have helped give the movie a sense of purpose and have a point for it to drive towards i you know and like watching this i'm thinking in my head like there's 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 enough going on with it and rich enough content at certain points that if he would have stayed focused to one of them he would have had a much better film i think he could have had a lot of whatever he was trying to get across i mean at some points it seems like really artsy fartsy to me and not to say it in like a well, I am saying it in a negative way, but like in a shock and awe value as opposed to actually like a deeper meaning or a sense of driving the film. You know, it's kind of like mm -hmm. sometimes it's like, oh, my dad did this, so I'm going to do this, you know? and Yeah, really like kind of honing in on some of the like body horror aspects or like yeah. the gore, like just the unsettling I'm, nature like, of even it. Even the, the, the orgy that they had after they're doing the, the root, and it's just like it's going on and on. And oh, I'm you didn't like that? It went on for like nearly five minutes? Oh, <laughs> well, I mean, it's every time I see that now, I always think of 2001. I'm <laughs> just thinking like how all, all the colors and like yeah. the fucking psychedelic shit going yeah, on. Yeah, and it's like that's it's fun. Like that's fun. I mean, this is like you can have a good time with this or laugh right. or kind of like get like in the oh man, this is really twisted. But at the end of the day, it's still like, what are you? What's your point? Mm -hmm. You know, is it just in there to have it in there? And that's what I felt like some of the stuff was for was. 
he had he had so much going on and he didn't know how to explain it so we had a lot of filler content with that shock and awe to try to keep driving us as an audience to be engaged with the film Mm -hmm. and it's like that works for so long and at some point it just was like what are we doing Mm -hmm. you know and i think probably by the time that we get to um when he when he when he when he oh man yeah when he starts beating the shit out of himself you know <laughs> right and he's like oh man this has gone way too far i'm like at that point i was like i don't know what what he's even trying to get across i don't know if that's like if it's supposed to be cathartic or if it's like self-mutilation or what that we're driving towards that he's feeling as a person and then it's like the whole third act i felt was like him you know kind of coming to terms with the, his devils so there's one more thing that is in terms of a theme that I don't think we've really touched on yet that I did think about while watching this movie, which I'm kind of surprised we didn't bring it up yet because it was one of the more like clear ones to me, but peer pressure. Oh. Like it's one of those things where you think about it and it does kind of make a little bit more sense when you think about it from that perspective because here's a character who, for all intents and purposes, is a failed writer, right? Because he's written a book, but not many people have read it. And he's solely kind of living off of the wealth of his his wife or girlfriend. I forget if they're married they're, or not. They're married. It's his wife and her father-in-law is the one that published the book. Right. So, like, he, he ostensibly doesn't even really try in terms of, like, creating art or making money or, like, making a name for himself. Right. So then uh, he's just kind of coasting. And then he meets Mia Goth's character who gives him this praise, kind of elevates him. Uh brings him into her twisted little group and they go around, they do all these things and they're like telling them to do all these things. And it's almost like he's doing them solely to impress them or solely to get on their good graces. Not necessarily because he like feels wants to, or because he even feels forced more than likely to me, it seemed like he was doing it to fit in and to like, because at, it feels like he finally found somewhere where he belongs. Yeah. He found somewhere where like he has a purpose and has something to do other than just sit around and like, you know, have a lackluster vacation with his wife. There's, there's something to be said, I think a little bit more of a a lost identity, right? You know, or kind of, is this the person that I really am? Or is this what I've always been set out to do? Mm -hmm. And I think that, that some of the, you know, watching themselves get killed over and over again really drives them more into the madness of, of themselves. I mean, I guess you could say into the ego. Yeah. You know? And it's part of that sort of alluring thing where it's not only that, but it's like the orgies and the drugs and everything yeah. going on. It's like, oh, okay, this is a lifestyle that is alluring because I've never really had this before. And these are people I've never really got to share this with. Yeah, I mean, putting, putting pleasure to the ultimate gain. Yeah, and you then... Know? You know, essentially, they also just turn on him at the snap of a finger. It, it's and then, so hard. To, did they though? I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, kinda, because <laughs> like they want him to like beat up the version of himself, and then when they reveal that it's him, he runs away. He becomes terrified, but they keep wanting to like egg him on. They're like, oh, come. It's like if they're kids at a playground and they're wanting little Jimmy to like, I don't know, step on a duck or something. Yeah. And little Jimmy doesn't want to step on the duck because he likes ducks, but then his friends are like, oh, you don't want you. <laughs> You're not going to be our friend if you don't step on the duck, because you know yeah. Jimmy doesn't want to step on the duck, but he also doesn't want to lose his friends. It's like, but he, I was kind of getting some of those vibes from it. And- a little. I'm not not cutting you off. I did too, but then the end, like 
the last scene at the farm like completely was like where did this just go right you know that's what i'm saying like there's there is that there is that sense that that does happen in there and then next thing you know she's feeding him through her tit and it's like everyone's like good job oh, and that's where like some of the messiness comes in right like there's some through line to like certain things going on in this movie but it yeah. either doesn't really go anywhere yeah. or it does get somewhere and it makes you think about some things but then it just kind of like takes a left turn yeah, I, and I, I, it's like okay, now we're just doing this for the sake of being provocative, for the sake of like retaining the Cronenberg title of it being a weird body horror film. Yeah, and then you get to the end of it, and I did kind of enjoy the idea of this. Maybe not necessarily the execution, where James is like processing the traumatic events that had happened the day before, and they're all just talking about the most mundane shit on the bus ride back <laughs> yeah. and he's kind of like almost the surrogate for us as an audience where we're like well, what the fuck why is nobody talking about all the wacky shit that's happened in this movie like how come nobody's acknowledged this and that's sort of what james is doing in the movie yeah i agree with that i had i guess i just had a hard time with <laughs> yeah no i fu- I, I, I fully agree this is a messy film and it's got some issues and it the biggest thing going against it is it doesn't really feel like it's specific enough in trying to convey what it's getting across that's what i ultimately will that's what i come down to with this thing i i I do think there are there are points as the character we're watching them it's you can develop a sense of sympathy or empathy or understanding but because of all the actions that happen before every time something new happens it makes you wonder who are we really watching and not only that but how much are they actually able to process and because it's like because it's surreal and that some of the thoughts or actions that are occurring aren't really happening it's almost like a like a lucid dream that you're experiencing and then yeah so like when you get to the end with him sitting there i mean it is it's him it's him processing i mean he gets home and then I, you know the thing ends with him it's still in in the in lotiki i don't yeah the I token look, i can look it up real quick Lee i'm probably Tolkien. gonna butcher the pronunciation of it but it's l-i and then i think it's t-a litolka litolka l-i-t-o-l-t-o-q-a yeah yeah litolka um, which I didn't know if he did the things with the cues, not having the use after him for certain reason or not. Probably being a silly boy. I think so because he had that every every. He cue, seems like a silly guy. Every cue just went right to an A, and it didn't have the U A. And I was like, "Was well, that how you really pronounce it?" Mm-hmm. You know, because it's missing U. Yeah, I like. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. All right, just like we're getting to the mind of Cronenberg. <laughs> Finally, we're diving in. Fuck the body horror stuff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's get into a spelling. We want the mind horror. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um. Yeah, and and that's where you kind of get to with his with his state of mind, and ultimately it's you know my if I did I ever really leave the island, you know, and but that's right. where I kind of have like, what do we get to? He had peer pressure going on. They finally he does end up killing himself. He does it by his own hands, and you know next thing you know everyone's cool with him, and and they're back on the bus. Yeah, you're friends with us again. Yeah, congratulations. And it's you like did the thing. <laughs> You know, I don't know. I mean, did he succumb to the peer pressure? Did it, did did he accept the them? Is he just like reflecting on everything that just happened, wondering what who the hell am I? Well, like, it's, it's one of those things where like, yeah, he succumbed to the peer pressure to like join their ranks, I guess, but he had to like literally sacrifice himself in order to do it. Yeah, but you know, like I'm saying, like, all right, there are movies where 
someone forces you to do something you didn't want to do, mm. right? Like the Lost Boys, okay? They, you're forced to do something you didn't want to do. You then realize ultimately that the people forcing you to do these things are a pure evil. Mm-hmm. He, it doesn't, he doesn't kill himself and then look around and like, Yell yeah. at them and take like he. He's not like yay! I get to be a part of you again. Like and, he's, and he also doesn't do fuck you guys. I didn't want to do this. This is bullshit. You know, it's also like he just ultimately succumbs to his own self and is like, "Come here, mom." Like, and, well, it's almost like he kind of reverts back to who he was at the beginning of the film, where he's just like kind of going with the flow of like not really going one way or the other. He's <laughs> so just is sort it of character growth, like character roller coaster. It just goes back to the start. <laughs> Time's a flat circle. Yeah, yeah. right. Exactly. Yeah. If we're gonna get surreal with it, uh, um, so that so I don't know. Maybe that's what they were going for. Maybe that's the ultimate <laughs> message. Is like, I don't know. You have to ask it because this movie is very non-specific with what it's trying to say. Exactly, and I think it's like that for a reason. I don't know. I'm because uh, sometimes you come across a movie, and it feels like the surrealist elements have a point. They have some sort of line between them where there's a believability and you can get behind the surreal nature of it. Like I'm thinking of ending things or Bo is afraid. Yes. You know, two surreal movies that I really love that kind of have that great balance of like, okay, I know it's surreal, but there's still tension. There's still purpose. There's still a through line that it's getting towards. That's what I was about to say. There's a, there's a purpose and direction with what's going on. Yeah. Because if you make a movie that's surreal for the sake of being surreal, you can almost as a director just say, Oh yeah, I definitely intended it for you to interpret it this way. Yes. And then someone else could have a totally different take on it and he'd be like, Oh yeah, that's right too. Like it's sort of almost It's a cop out. It takes the responsibility off the director yes. to say, Yes, I had a specific vision. With the two movies that Bo is afraid and I'm thinking of ending things, there is a through line, but also there's a line that you can walk on as an audience member and even through reflection after you see the film, like I'm thinking of ending things I had to do. You can still walk down that line and pull in everything that's happening. Like it's not to say it's linear with with what we're going on, but it's at least there aren't points where we're drifting back and forth and side to side, and it's just like, oh, I did this awful thing, but now I'm good, but now I'm going to be bad again, and now and then you know just to say, but we are still living in the moment or these moments that we're going through. This one never felt like that. You never really. With me with Skarsgård, I never really felt like, all right, I, I never knew what his state of mind was. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, the problem with it is is that there's no, am I discovering myself? Is this ultimately how life's supposed to be? Am I living up to my father's expectations? And we have to use it through, the, you know, Cronenberg doing it through the character. And I think there's all these little bits and pieces of things that he wanted to say or do that ultimately just went nowhere. You know, and I, mm. yeah, and I, I mean, I agree with you too. I mean, th- in the sense that with a surreal movie, if you do it that way, you can put it in a sense that there is no direction, but because it's surreal, you can pull or interpret any way that you'd like to with the art that is being perceived, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's no knock in that. I just think that it's with films, you have to have a little bit more. I mean, they're called directors for a friggin' reason, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Consistency, I think, is a big. Yes. Uh, Thing that this movie does not have yes um let's talk about some of the more uh technical parts and some of the base elements of this movie love them um 
Yes, this movie shot very well. Oh my god, I the love the music. Scene is fantastic. I love the way the camera just kept tilting through the drum roll, right through the drum roll, and like through the different settings of the resort going yes. on. Edited flawlessly. It, it like has a really good sense of like drawing you into the uneasiness of everything happening. You kind of know that you're getting into something that you're just not going to be sure about, right? Like, didn't you get that sense right when it starts kind of? I mean, it's like almost doing like a 360 just circle around every mm-hmm. time. And you're just kind of going on like this little kaleidoscope adventure. And it's like, all right, we're going, we're drifting into a foreign land here. Yeah. It's unsettling. It's a, it's like kind of a good juxtaposition of like what we're seeing on screen versus like the editing taking place. The and beautiful like the music accompanying of it. Croatia. Yes. Right. Yeah. That's where they filmed it at. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, but... <laughs> You know, I, I really like the technical stuff going on. I think that, like, he just has an eye for visual storytelling. I'm curious what Possessor's like. I haven't Same. seen that one. I'm, I think, is that the only other one he did, or did he do another one? I think Possessor was his first major film debut, and I'm, I am interested in that. I just mm-hmm. don't know if it's got the same sort of, like... We just don't know what we're doing. I don't know if I could stand it. <laughs> right. I And I wouldn't blame you at all. Um, but yeah, that was great. Uh, the I think music that, in the sinks fantastic. I mean, a lot music's of the, awesome. Not to say the sound design, but like the 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 music that gets thrust in and being able to change between some of the. I, I don't remember some of like was it like a p- piano maybe, but like the strings, and then they get into like the disco, and then they're you know they get back to the strings, and then there's like the key, you know, the piano notes being played. Like it's, it's a lot of like different sorts of music being able to like cohesively interweave in and out between each yes. other. I actually pulled up the soundtrack for this thing, and there's I think there's only like three or four songs in this maybe, and mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know why I'm looking up the music for this, but I I just I enjoyed it that much. Um, it's a vibe. Oh, at least that's one thing that this movie has going for it. It's a vibe. A hundred percent. This is like a, this is a film. I think that you could not that not that you would, but like if you had a bunch of people over and you're just gonna like party or whatever, you could throw this thing on and be like, we're it's just gonna get weird, mm-hmm. you know. And it would definitely fit the attitude of what's going on. I don't think anything would like necessarily stick out so much that would be off putting. You know. Yeah. Probably certain moments if you looked at the camera, like what's going on the screen now, and it's like, oh. Uh, one thing I want to bring up about our boy Skarsgård. Yeah. I really like him in this movie. I think his acting is really great. I kind of have a hard time believing that he's a schluppy loser writer when he is built like a Scandinavian <laughs> god. My Northman. It's like it's like you take if you take like Jeffrey Wright from American fiction and you put him in this movie. Yeah. It might be a little bit more believable. Because, like, someone who's not physically imposing might be a little more well, susceptible to manipulation. He's, but he's, he's literally, like, six foot three and, like, built like a fucking brick house. Yeah, but, I mean, like, you can definitely <laughs> you can definitely get behind it because he's got, he's got you know, his wife with him. And you find out that he really hasn't done much and he married in rich. And I think it makes it a little bit more believable that he could have, like, some sort of timidness around him. Uh, because of it wasn't like he sought her out and was like you know if anything he might have been trying to con her into you know or no actually she even says my dad said don't write you know don't marry a writer so I married a broke writer Mm -hmm. you know like so she I think she found him so I mean a lot of like 
kind of the the leading up to who he is made sense to me. I mean, I know what you're saying. I think he embodies the character well enough. It's just physically sometimes I think about how stacked this dude is. And and maybe I'd have to picture like some other kind of physique for his character. We do talk about it. It's like the Tobey Maguire thing, right? Like a little bit. You want it. You you can't you can't throw an A-lister in there because you're going to get lost with like, dude, there's no way. Like he kind of, he does embody some of that. Like if you would have got maybe a little bit more of a no name or someone that's just yeah. Jesse Plemons. I'm trying to picture a version of this movie where Dane DeHaan plays James. And I, I'm wondering like how that would go. Dane DeHaan. Why can't I? Uh Oh shit. What's a Wow. Uh, oh, uh, uh, cure for wellness. Sure. Uh, uh, Green Goblin and Amazing Spider-Man Two. You got it. Um, oh, that guy. Yes. Yeah. No, I'm going. I'm going with Plemons. I think Plemons would have been. Plemons is like the. That would have been interesting. I would like to see that. When that? I mean, because he's got no physicality around him. Uh, not that you know we've seen necessarily, but I'm trying he to get is the married levels. Married to Kirsten Dunst. I'm trying to get the levels good because for some reason my audio is getting quiet. Uh oh. There we go. That's a good pop. Yeah, I got to get pop this shit peas. popped out so sometimes it can read me. Um, no, and also I want to say this too. Uh, his lack of facial hair and the way he spoke in this movie reminded me so much of his dad. So much of Stellan Skarsgård. Really? I think so. Hmm. Like if you, okay, watch Melancholia and then watch scenes from this movie and you'll understand what I, there's like this cadence that they both share that I think is so similar between each other. It's like, he reminds me so much of his dad in this movie. Yeah. I can't see it, but I'm not disagreeing with you. Okay. Uh, and then Mia goth, what do we think of her? Cause I'm, I'm trying to, I'm struggling with the idea of like her accent choice as a way of being like unsettling and kind of creepy, or if it's just a poor British (laughs) accent that she's doing. Well, so she does lead in with, I'm the failed actress. I fail at everything. And I think which that never comes back up again. I don't think it doesn't, right? but it does help with her character with kind of like, oh, that's why you talk like this. That's why you kind of do some of these silly things that you're doing. Like it, it to me, it really helped out with like the oh, okay, she's obviously not going to be good at what she does. Mm. You know, she makes enough money in commercials because she can do something really bad and she can be playful around it. It shows that she's got charisma. I thought the. The, oh, look at this knife. I can't cut my bread. How does this knife work? I thought that was a really funny scene. I was like, that's really well done. But it also says, like, all right, she's not, she's never going to be the Natalie Portman of that world. Um, you know, so, like, you know, I I, I, I was fine with that. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, some of the things I read, I mean, people say that she overacted in this. I guess I can see it a little bit. I think her acting was fine. I think that she embodied the character well enough. I, it's kind of like a similar thing with Skarsgård, where it's like I have a hard time separating the accent from it sometimes. Yeah. But as far as like acting in itself goes, I think she did a good job. I and thought I they mean, both were exceptionally well. And if you're going to get somebody to play like a creepy female lead, what better way to go than Mia Goth in this day I and thought age? She, oh, my God. That, this they, is like quintessential Mia Goth role right she's here. She's turning into what's-her-nuts from freaking um, Fuqua. Fu- Fu- oh, man, I'm not going to be able to get her name. She was in The Craft. She was in The Waterboy. 
She got in a really... Oh, oh, shit. I know who you're talking about. It oh. might even be a Mia. <laughs> Faruja Bulk? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that yeah, who you're talking about? Yeah, 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 yeah. Remember, I mean, she was kind of like... Got a very distinct look, kind of unsettling. Yeah, she got into like the early goth stage and like was like the model for yeah, it. Yeah, she was in American History X as like his neo-Nazi girlfriend. Yeah, she took all the really damaging roles and like knocked it out of the ballpark because she had that look. Yeah. But that's like what ne- Mia Goth's like going to do now is like any sort of horror movie that's got a female lead that has to be like the villain she's gonna that's her yeah she's like very pretty and and you know yeah. very like just conventionally attractive but also like her lack of eyebrows just gives her that really creepy vibe too yeah well it's hard to get her facial like what she's really thinking and then she's also able to do this thing with her voice that I really like, where it's kind of like really purposefully shaky and unsettling, mm-hmm. and it kind of it gets under your skin and is very high pitched. Oh man, she was when she was on the car. Oh no, my wa- my wine. We have to stop, Jamesy. Jamesy. Yeah. It's, yeah. Perfect. Yes. Well I, cast. I I really I enjoyed her. I was actually uh, very happy to see that she was in it. I didn't realize that she was in this film. Uh, I knew it was Skarsgård, and uh, I thought it was Skarsgård and his wife going through, like, just going to be, you know, uh, torture porn for two hours. And then all of a sudden, it took, I mean, for me, it took a left turn pretty quick when they just buy their way out of it. Yeah, I I mean, he should have taken a left turn when he hit that guy, but, you know. (laughs) You're such an idiot. We didn't even need to stage it. (laughs) It's fucking... Yeah. Oh man! When they're like just negging him the entire oh, time as he's walking dude, in front of the car, so bad, and it's just like oh, feels the, bad, man. Well, and the so the funny thing too, the the title of his book was the Veiled Sheath, and I thought that I had like a little bit of uh, uh, some introspection or some retrospection on him as a, a character. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought that was a clever title to have for the book in terms of a, the failed writer and what's going on. That's the, funny because I thought she said the Veiled Sheep. Oh, really? I was thinking of it from like a submissive angle. Oh. (laughs) Like he's just kind of a sheep going along in life. Yeah, what's that? uh, Simp boy. (laughs) Simp boy, yeah. Um,. No, I had the subtitles on. So. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah. So I actually, it's what it was called. Uh, you know, so everyone. It's out funny because I I started uh, playing it with subtitles, and then the subtitles would be like five seconds behind what they're actually saying. Really? So I was like, I can't do this. I don't know what's going on with subtitles nowadays. Because like when I was watching the holdovers, that's quite the sentence. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> what's going on with subtitles <laughs> yeah, nowadays? Right. Old man Mac. Max got a hot take. Yeah, here we go. Platitude. Um, (laughs) Subtitles catching strays in this conversation. No, I went to watch the holdovers. I couldn't get the subtitles on for that, so I had to turn it up. And then uh, for Anatomy of a Fall, I I couldn't get it on. I had to turn it off my TV and then turn it back onto Hulu. And then this one, it just it popped right up just fine. Like I'm like, what? That's weird. What's going on with the subtitle? Game? That's that's like my issue with Godfather, the first one. Yeah. Where I had the subtitle set just by default, and then they would speak Italian. The subtitles would go away, so I'd have to turn the subtitles off to get the Italian <laughs> subtitles. And then the scene where Michael's in the diner happens, and they're speaking Italian, and you're not meant to get subtitles. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> yeah, it's maddening right <laughs> i'm like this is my first time watching this movie and i'm frightened <laughs> they need to get they need to really work on this the subtitle uh problem yeah hashtag subtitle yeah you guys listen to this please we need to start the, we need hashtag, to start this platform hashtag not so subtle subtitle oh kind of wordy kind of wordy kind of wordy it's an it's enough to get the the word out there yeah 
That's for sure. Um, well, they'll know what we're saying when we're on the uh, steps of the Capitol building. Yeah. Oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we got another year before we can do that again. Um, oh. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. I, I want to make that clear. We do not support January 6th. <laughs> At all, there it is. All right, we just we just uh, edit all of this out. Uh, I might. <laughs> uh, joke's gone too far. Uh, no, but I'm glad that you had subtitles so you could distinguish that book title because I thought it was sheep. Yeah, so. no, and it was it, well, either way. I think we both were like, "Oh wow, that's appropriate." Yeah, <laughs> like it, this fits with what's going on. Even if mine was misguided. <laughs> hey, you're close. <laughs> that's something. Uh, was there anything else we want to talk about with Infinity Pool? I don't think I have anything else. I no, gone through all my notes. I, you know, I think the only thing that I was really, I was hoping that they were going to go more down the road of was a little bit more of the mystery on how do we really know if it's us still uh, after the cloning? Mm-hmm. You know, how do you know that it's not the clone that made it out and you're the clone versus kind of, you know, that they killed you? I, I really wish they would have touched on that or kept going down that route a little bit more. Right, because the way they set it up in a movie, it's definitely a thing you should pay attention to. Yes. But by the end of the film, it's not something you really think about as something you should care in, in viewing this film in, to its completion. That's that was the that, that's the problem that I have with it. Is it what's funny is like you see it, you see the whole process going on, and I'm like, oh, I wonder if they're gonna get into like free will or like how do you know or you know like what's the difference and no they just touched on it and every once in a while i think they they would bring up that that question again i want to say charles asked or the doctor asked you know at like 30 minutes past that point and it's like the fuck do i even care (laughs) you know um but no i mean outside of that i mean i think this movie's kind of a face value movie um yeah you know you could take it for what it is i think it definitely has a vibe and if you're down for a vibe and watching a movie with a vibe you'll you can at least watch some of this i don't know i think i think it loses it lost me towards the end like i started yawning and i was like clock watching yeah you check the check the runtime when is this gonna wrap up yeah um let's get in the ratings okay uh this is a seven out of ten wow for me okay um it is very technically enjoyable. I love the vibe of it. The music's great. The cinematography's awesome. I think Brandon Cronenberg has an eye for the camera. Um, yeah. Acting's really good. Really, it's just kind of like a, a lot of the more through-line elements of this film. The writing. Uh, the ri- Well, yeah, the writing, but also... Because I think the dialogue, for the most part, works. It's mostly just like where the story goes and like what's trying to touch on and comment on and all these different themes that it wants to lay out in front of you but it never really delves quite deep enough into any specific one of them yeah and it really does kind of hold the movie back from being pretty great but other than that pretty solid i mean if you like a cronenberg flick you're probably gonna like this and yeah uh yeah that's pretty much my final thoughts on that nice i had this a uh after initial viewing i was like man six out of ten um it's messy, uh, you know, but after, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes, bumped it up to a seven. This thing's got, technically speaking, it's fantastic. The cinematography is awesome. You can't, like, you gotta, I'm always a guy that, like, when I talk about films, there's a couple criteria that you have to meet, but, like, the production and the camera work and the sound fit in. So, I mean, like, if you have a good film on that, 
front alone, you're probably going to be a five out of ten. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if I dip lower than a five if it looks great and it's just like shit acting, horrible writing. Acting's really good in this. I mean, they they bring up some questions that I mean that at the time kind of make you think, but they never go back to them and they never really linger on having you have to think about it, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that the problem, I mean, the reason why I gave it a seven out of ten is because this thing just goes nowhere. Uh, and then you know, this is a two-hour film that I'm pretty sure could be reduced down to about ninety-five minutes. And have about the same value. Yeah, just take out some of those ancillary elements that really don't lead to much else. Yes. Um, but you yeah. said a good thing. I mean, Cronenberg. I don't. If, if, hey, worst case, like directing doesn't work out. This guy's got an eye for camera. I mean, well, I think he had a cinema. He was working with the cinematographer, obviously. But I gotta imagine that some of his like, this is what I want. You know, make it happen. He's got an eye for that. I just don't know if writing's his thing. He might be another um, uh, Nicholas Winding Refn. Could be. And I mean, it's clear to me that he definitely has things that he wants to say, but it doesn't really feel like he knows how to communicate it 100% effectively. Yeah, he's got Asperger's. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, we're just Does kidding. he actually? Brandon, oh. if you're listening, we love you. <laughs> oh, he's probably not. <laughs> probably not. Probably not. <laughs> yeah. But uh, honestly, I mean, I'd be curious uh, as to what else he makes. Uh, you know, in it, the future. I mean, we both talked about it. We're kind of intrigued by Possessor. Um, yeah, I'm going to check that out. You know, I listened to another podcast I know that talked about it, and I didn't realize it was Cronenberg. And, uh, you know, I, I was like, I got to see what else he's done. Because I think, you know. And I go, Possessor, I was like, you know what? Maybe maybe sometime I will check that out. I don't know. I mean, it's, you know, the shock and awe value, I, I could care. Like I said, I think we both can say we care less about that than actually, like, you know, the technical aspects, how well the story's written and the acting. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, some of the shit that happens, like, doesn't need to happen. So if Possessor's like that, I'll, I'll probably put him on the, I will check that out if it's ever free video list. For sure. Well, speaking of Cronenberg, we got a discussion of a history of violence from Daddy Cronenberg. Yeah. Mr. David Cronenberg himself. And uh, this is a film I recommended. Uh, Obviously, directed by Daddy Cronenberg himself, written by Josh Olson, based on a history of violence graphic novel by John Wagner and Vince Locke. And it stars Viggo Mortensen as Tom Stahl, who uh, is married to Maria Bello and has a son and a daughter, Jack and uh, I don't remember, uh, Judy, I think. Jack and Judy. Uh, The daughter, Sarah, maybe. Oh, it might be Sarah. Yeah, um, I don't. She doesn't do anything. Yeah, uh, but anyway, uh, he has a nice family, lives in a small town, uh, runs a diner, and uh, something happens to where he is labeled as a hero because he saves some people from some nefarious figures, and uh, because he was on TV for his heroic acts, uh, some demons of his past come back to haunt him, and. Uh, that's pretty much it without getting into spoilers of this film. So spoilers for a history of violence. Um, yeah, so let's get into it. This is a movie that I had been intrigued by even before watching or knowing really anything about David Cronenberg because I knew that David Cronenberg was more of like a body horror director. You think of him, you think of like Crash or The Fly or Videodrome, something that is more 
commonly known within his wheelhouse of like, oh, it's body horror. Yeah. And then you come across a movie like The History of Violence or A History of Violence, excuse me. And it's intriguing because from the outset, it doesn't really seem like a movie that would have that necessarily involved in it. And well, without if you exclude the title. Right, exactly. Um, so you kind of get suspicious and you think, like, what's this about? What's this angle here? And then you check it out. And it's like, oh, okay. It's a pretty solid, straightforward action thriller film that's got some things going on in terms of really great prosthetic work, uh, some really interesting characters, and uh, a, a performance that I think uh, is really kind of captivating with Vigo because he has to play both sort of like a family man but also someone who's a ruthless killer. And so it's one of those things where like, yeah, there's some things about it that I don't really care for, but I think at the end of the day for me personally, it, for the most part it does kind of work as like a sort of, you know, action thriller film that's pretty straightforward. Doesn't have that much going on in terms of like theme or messages or anything else. But you know, it is it is kind of what it is. It's like a history of violence. It's this guy who is dealing with the demons of his past, and they come back to haunt him. And the the sort of like life that he's built for himself is in jeopardy. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm I'm curious your experience because you'd seen this before, right? I'd seen it once. Um, saw it when it first came out. It's actually funny because uh, I was at a buddy's house and we we're gonna sneak out. So, um, how old were you? Fifteen. Okay, fifteen or six. So I mean, like you know, high school shenanigans, some tomfoolery. Um, and we put this movie on because we we had to stay up until you know um, my buddy's dad passed out so we could sneak out and go mm. go hang out with our, our other friends. And um, we threw this movie on, and I just remember being like, "Oh, okay," like I saw that. You know, so I, I was really interested to see how I'd, I'd take it down this this next time because I'd only seen it once and I saw it at a very young age. And you know, it's kind of it's a movie that I think it's brought up, well, maybe not, but it's always on the the precipice of my mind for some reason. Like I think a lot of time if you say Vigo Mortensen, like I I immediately equate like it's like this Hidalgo and Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. like is where I go. Yeah. So, um. I was very curious to see how I would receive it this next time around, and we'll, and we'll talk about it, you know. And the, the first thing that popped out, Scott McHattie, I think is is his name. Remember Pontypool? Yes, he's the uh, he, oh, he's the guy in the jacket, yeah, right? In the yeah, beginning. he's got that deep voice, and he goes, "The maid really pissed me off. I'm gonna, you know, I talked to her, or I can't even do his accent, but I was like, oh, dude." And then I thought Jason Clark was the other guy. Oh, from, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, from Everest, and I'm like, oh my god. Well, it's funny because this movie opens up, and I thought that he was going to be, I thought it was going to be like a flashback where he's supposed to be like a young Vito. Yeah, I'm like, oh, okay, so this is young Vito, and then the scene plays out. It's like, oh, this is not, <laughs> this is not young Vito. Yeah. I'm pretty sure, but yes, continue. Vito or Vigo? V. Vigo, oh, Vito. I'm I think you're talking to, about Vito Corleone. I'm gonna switch it up, and it's gonna be an accident, and we might as well just drive right past right, it because yeah. there's well, no stopping wanted, it from happening. Um, <laughs> you're saying I was like thinking of Vito Corleone. I, Corleone, eh? Yeah, right. Um, his Italian the, accent from Green Book. <laughs> so you thought it was gonna be uh, so like it's him, and then it's not. Well, it's, I mean, that was just like know, a quick thought. Yeah, like kind of. 
just no i get where you hadn't seen it before so that was totally like oh we're gonna see a little bit of a flashback Mm -hmm. i mean so and that actually probably helped you out with like oh well what is he doing you know like once they get to him he's like hey hon the car won't start up could you take me to the diner Oh, thanks. Yeah. You know, very soft-spoken, meek. Like, Well, it's, it's framing this guy as like being a really wholesome, just normal, average Joe. He does a great job, too, by the way. He does a fantastic job. And I think that that's like one of the favorite parts of the movie for me is like him balancing sort of like that image of, oh, I've got like a really great life for myself. I'm very wholesome. I'm a family man. And then like later in the movie when it comes time to like slowly reveal those aspects of Joey Cusack, it's like... Yeah. Oh, now we get to see like menacing Vigo. <laughs> kind of, to some extent. I, I, I thought we were going to get more of like a, oh yeah, like, you know, back in my Philly grind, I'm mm. going to show you crazy. He never really, it, he's not Willem Dafoe and from Green Goblin. You know, that's. No, he's not like a, he's not like an evil dude necessarily. Well, you don't, he was. That's my. Like, well, he was, but like he's very clearly trying to get out of that life, and every time bring some of it back. Besides just him killing people, because I mean, I I kind of get it though. I kind of get what the movie's going for in that way because, and this is something that I thought about after watching the film, is that to me it kind of almost feels like Brawl and Cell Block ninety nine in a way. Yeah, where it's like no matter what this guy does, no matter how hard he tries to fight against it, he just keeps getting pulled further and further back into the shit. And I really like that aspect because it it makes it more believable that, like, the way he fights against it, he keeps going back further into it and he's more resistant to it. The fact that he doesn't want to be going back into this life and the fact that he doesn't want to return to Joey Cusack yeah. tells us a lot about, like, him as a character. Not only does he want to retain what the life he has, but he also just wants to get out of the life he had before. See, that's what I'm saying. It's been 20 years removed. Like, he had. He did. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Like, and he worked hard to achieve that life for himself, and then all of a sudden something happens, and it's, uh, like, pretty nearly taken away from him. I mean, you could make the argument it did. We don't really know. The ending's right? kind of ominous. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I really liked him as Tom Stahl. I love that. I gotcha. I, I just wanted a little bit more of, like, the Joey to pop out. I think there's a... Because this movie's pretty short. It's 96 minutes, I think. Yep. So probably, like, without credits, probably, like, a rounded 90. Um, This movie, I think... I agree. It definitely could have used more in the way of showing us that side of him. I don't mind that it didn't, but I, I agree with you. I think the movie definitely could have maybe benefited from showing a little bit more of that I think it would have helped out well having us spend a little more time with Vigo in that later half of the movie where like okay now he's removed from his family yes we get to we get to see and I like I get that I get where you're coming from in that angle I don't need I don't need a whole lot I don't need him to right. go down memory lane with the brother I you know like if they get to the bar and he's talking to the guy and the guy says hey finish your beer and then I'll go take you and see him you yeah. know if he just popped out and was like, no, you're going to take me now, you son of a bitch. Like, hit him with, like, a Philly accent or something like that. And it's like, oh, okay, like, he's still there. Like, I think a lot of how we're supposed to interpret it is, like, the uh, I got the mind of this, but the body of that. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's where I, I morph him a little bit more. You know, more we got to see Tom Stall, and we got to see meek and timid Tom Stall. 
Mm-hmm. Like Joey gets brought around, we only get we get to see Tom Saul operating Joey's body. It's like give me a little bit of that Joey popping out. That would have helped out with some of the some of the staleness. This film is like it's got a lot of staleness. I don't disagree with you. That's a lot of where like my issues lie with this movie. Yes, it's like because it is like a very kind of straightforward action thriller film. It doesn't really have that much in, of style i guess they no it doesn't zero style whatsoever and i don't know like hey we're playing into the midwest but like right you know what i'm saying well now it does not help that and this is one thing that i really dislike about the movie is a lot of the music especially towards the beginning oh god it's like feel the dreams well it's like what am i watching am i watching like the opening scene of saving private ryan where they're at the cemetery like what are these like weird military horns going off in the soundtrack of this thing like it's I don't know, it's like maybe I don't want to say it's like a product of the time, but it does feel like that sort of like early two thousands thing where like Oh yeah. Oh, to show that everything's great and that everything is in order and how it should be in this American lifestyle, let's have this patriotic music blaring that yes. you hear at like a military funeral. That's what I yes. Like a, a thousand percent that the sound the the soundtrack and th- this thing does no justice to keep you engaged whatsoever <laughs> it's almost the inverse of infinity pool oh, it's like the music in that is fire and very appropriate oh, yeah. for the type of tone that it's trying to set and then this one it's like okay i get it you're trying to show like an the american dream essentially but do we really need this type of music in order to convey that you're gonna show him just walking down the down the street you know, this is what they do in the Midwest. Just walk down the street to his diner, and we're going to play some trumpets behind it, and you're going to feel very patriotic, and cornfields and apple pie, and it's the summertime. And, like, dude, like, okay. I think what he was really relying on was the suspense and the mystery that's involved with Ed Harris. Now, Ed Harris... Pretty good job, I think. I he was fucking scary in this movie. You yeah. Well. He made me piss my shorts. <laughs> let me tell you. I uh I was I don't I wasn't that afraid of him, but he definitely had uh the charisma that made me almost root for him in this film. Well, like the way that they have him with the eye and the way they dress him up and just his cadence throughout the film, it's almost like he should have played the big bad guy at the end of this film. And that I uh, I, I like John Hurt. Uh, William Hurt? Or is it William Hurt? I think it's William yeah. Hurt. But, no, he does a great job, too. I really like him, especially the way he's playing that character. He's oh. got, like, the fucking chin strap of the gods. <laughs> but it is interesting in terms of structure how they have Ed Harris, who is supposed to be, like, the most menacing motherfucker in the film, yeah. uh, die halfway through. And, you know, it's yeah. one of those things where, like, Kind of like cell brawl and cell block ninety nine sort of does this where like it's the we'll progression all, of like yeah, careful with uh, I won't spoil it but okay. it's like the progression of things just getting worse and yes. worse and that could have been like a nice representation with the way that Ed Harris looks in this film it's like oh he's basically Satan in this yeah like, he's the big bad guy he's the one that they really have to be scared of both physically and in terms of like the power he has over like the mob that he controls yeah. You know? Like just by sheer influence and sheer cadence of his his character that he's playing, it's like this guy is really scary. And then you get to William Hurt, it's like oh, he's kind of a scary dude, but he's also his brother. He's kind of goofy. Yeah, you know, he's got he's like cracking jokes and all this shit. Like, got to be some charisma around him, right? Like, they got to have a little bit of fun. He, he, he's tasked to do a job he doesn't necessarily want to do, right? You yeah. know, and <clears throat> yeah, I I I think this thing could have used a little bit more Ed Harris. 
I think so too. Um, yeah, this thing was nine. Not gonna lie, it was ninety minutes, and it felt like it was an hour and twenty. Interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. There's, you know, there, there are a couple times where it made me chuckle. Um, there mm. are a couple times when Joey does pop out. I think at least um, with just some of his quips. One of them that I had two of them down, but one that really c- comes to mind was it? Uh, I should have killed you in Philly. No, 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 no. Okay, because that that's like that's the first time in the movie he kind of like shows his hand. It's like oh, okay, at I'm, that time you I'm know really Joey Cusack. That, yeah. that when he says that, no, he uh, they're at the diner, and uh, Ed Harris is saying like, "Oh, your coffee's so great," and you know he's like, "Well, blah 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 blah," and he goes. Well, I'm going to have to ask you to leave. As you can see, we're pretty busy. And Ed Harris looks in because he's got the eye. Mm. And he's like, you know, he's kind of, he's got that, like something that Tom Saul wouldn't say, like a tongue in cheek, like, here's a jab for you, mother, you know, mm-hmm. like, I, I I know who you are. And then there was another time, I think, with the gun or maybe talking to the cop. He had another, like, one of those cheeky comments where it's like, Tom Stall ain't saying that, mm-hmm. you know, like someone that's got like someone that's kind of like a badass would kind of give you that like little quip to kind of set someone off. So that like you get those moments where he kind of punctures through and then it then it's I mean, then we know he's Joey and then he's still like, I'm Tom Stall, you know, it's like, all right, I, I, I know what you've you've gone this far in your life up to this point. And one of the things I got really annoyed with that they could have did just like his fucking son did. Um, what is it like to be with this man that you don't know? Mm-hmm. Like me, Jasmine was watching with me, and I looked at her. I was like, "What if you found out I worked for the mob for twenty years and like we were married? Like, would you view me as a stranger in that house?" She's like, "No," but I would kind of question as to who you are. <laughs> like, <laughs> so we're ninety five percent stranger, five percent you know me. Yeah, <laughs> you know right. what I'm saying? Like. <laughs> You're not quite unfamiliar, but just enough that yeah, it'd be uncomfortable. Yeah, and they don't really they don't touch on it at all, and I got really annoyed with that. Like they had yeah. such well, a nice premise. They touch on it a little bit, but it's mostly through like his interactions with Maria Bello throughout and, the film and the son and the son a little bit, but it's mostly through her and like the, the, her kind of like reaction when he like confirms her suspicions okay, and so everything. Think about it this way though, right? Ninety minute film, so mm-hmm. we just got the one reaction. In the hospital, right? In the hospital, yeah. Yep. Uh, police guy shows up. She defends him. Yeah, she she like kind of saves his ass in that moment. Then they go and they bang on the on the so. 15- well, she she like goes and storms off in a huff, and he tries to stop her, and then that's when sexy stare time happens. Which, by the way, that's got to be the most uncomfortable encounter. <laughs> Oh god! Like, I, I was just thinking of like the bruises that they'd have. Just like no, she did. If you, <laughs> yeah. Which another thing too, the gratuitous naked scene. Like she just walks out full bush and everything. And I, I was thinking like, all right, you didn't show anything during the sex. Why do it now? Right. Like, well, it, it's one of those, so she's completely vulnerable, or just well, to show that it's funny that you mentioned that because if you remember the documentary that we talked about, the this film is not yet rated. Yeah, Maria Bello was one of the actresses that was one of the talking heads discussing how the MPAA was censoring oh. a movie that she was in, where you know she was showing Bush yeah, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it really kind of like made me think back to that and recognize that like, okay, she's just comfortable being naked and maybe she suggested doing it and was like 
hey, let's just throw it in here. It kind of adds some like layers or something. I don't know. We got to spice this thing up because it's getting dull quick. <laughs> <laughs> like, I thought I thought the stairway sexy and what it did it, but people are still bored. Right, but. Yes. She did have bruises on her back, though, because like, the next scene's her at night sitting there. And she's like just kind of sobbing. and Yeah, yeah. If you looked at her shoulder and her back, it's it's all dinged up. Like Because I had the same thought. I was like, man, they'd be all fucked up just boning on that thing. Yeah. And then she's got bruises back, and I was like, well, that's not from Vigo. Right. I don't disagree with you that that scene where she just walks out and is just un- like unrobed or whatever, like open <laughs> robe, is... Uh, is gratuitous because it is oh dude there's no i so it's funny too is like when you suggested it i if you listen to the last episode i kind of hinted at something scandalous happening Mm -hmm. i thought because i was like in my head i'm like i'm pretty sure you see her naked at some point and i thought it was in that stairway scene right and then it doesn't happen so i was like oh okay like i'm watching this no they're very like covert about the stair scene which it kind of gives it that sort of extra punch and purpose and i kind of like the stair scene for it doing that because it shows the sort of push and pull of like her wanting to have like the normal life again and like oh if maybe i just impromptively do this thing maybe we'll get some semblance of normalcy it's interesting yeah but then it happens and then she still realizes that she can't feel that way at least not in that moment yet so then she still storms off angry well so i'm curious because earlier in the film they do it she dresses up as a cheerleader so they do a little bit of role playing Mm -hmm. so i don't know if that was like she's kicking like it kicks it knocks her socks off or whatever they say you know well that i think to me told me that okay they have like not just a healthy life like outside of their sex life but within it too i'm not saying that what i'm saying is that going now to the staircase scene they are almost role playing. This is a complete stranger. It's almost in the same sense of what you get when they're in the bedroom, except it's not really. She she throws on the cheerleading outfit and it's still Tom. Yeah. Now on the stairway scene, now she's actually living out a fantasy of, you are a complete stranger. This is because I also thought that he he raped her. Um, from what I remember being fifteen, she like totally pulls them into the thing oh yeah she's like try like they're both kind of like in control of the situation he he goes to stop at one point and she like grabbed his i because i thought the whole time it was like joey coming out and like mm. completely animalistic savage you know and like i didn't realize but yeah he stops and then she pulls him back in and then they're going at it i'm like oh this kind of plays into that role-playing fantasy world that they were in before maybe she is like maybe she is turned on by this mm. and then she does like you're saying though she wants that like it i just want it to be role playing like i don't want it to be oh you really are a stranger now mm-hmm. you know like before when she was a cheerleader it's like you're still my husband you can be the high school quarterback and now you get it and now she's like oh you're a mobster you know and i'm just uh, i'm the i'm the you know the damsel in distress i could see it both ways where like she's kind of getting off on the idea of like oh this is like this is a dangerous thing and it's kind of like turning me on yeah because it's pulling her out of that lifestyle that i mean yeah i guess we're kind of we're saying it like the same thing but we're also thinking about it invertedly because i guess you're like ultimately at the end of the day not to Go ahead. Well, no, I was like, and it could also be the other way where I initially thought of it as like her trying to take back some semblance of control over their lives and yeah. like maybe return to some sense of normalcy. Yeah. But then like it all finishes up and she realizes still that like it can't be that way. That's what I'm saying. The outcome of all of it, either way you look at it, is she realizes that things have changed. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I don't think there's a wrong interpretation there between either of those. Right. As long as, yeah, you, I, I definitely think that she gets to that point where it's 
And so going back to my point, so now we've we've had two kind of like encounters, one in the hospital, now one where they've had sex. Now he's sleeping on the couch and he goes, I got to, you know, his brother calls and he leaves. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's the only time. And then the other conversations with his kid yeah. about, you know, and I, I was really like, oh, man, you had such a have him go a couple days in the town and have him kind of like question his own identity. And have I really changed like that? Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, like. Can I really be someone different? A- mm. Am I really someone different? I've done all these like horrific things, and I know I've gone past it, but it's still in my DNA. Right. And they just don't touch on it. It's just- Maybe it's one of those things where, for me personally, it worked because I think they did a good enough job of kind of like building up the suspense that his family is going to find out who he really was. Like the scene where he like slaps his kid or like the, some of the scenes where like she's kind of like questioning everything or... Like, I don't there's like kind of a build up to that. And it, there's like a good chunk of movie that's dedicated to just the tension of like, are they going to find out of him being Joey Cusack? And I think that that for me kind of like helped lead into those scenes a little bit more and like make them paced out a little bit better for me. So I don't yeah. know. I think that's just like a personal thing that. Well, I mean, other people could see it that way. I'm not, I, I did not. I thought that mm-hmm. I'm like, this is 30, it's 35, 40 minutes of leading up. We get the 15 minutes of complete stranger and then we get the finishing the penultimate round of him going to Philly and then to see his brother. And it's like, boy, that 15 minutes, I feel like could have been stretched out more and could have gave us a little bit more of the characters. Like, you know, it it's not necessarily fish out of water, but you're taking like think of how weird that would be if you just found out someone's not who they are. Mm-hmm. And it's not like it was all of four years and she's like, These are my two kids, he's stepdad, like, no, they've rate they've done all this stuff together and it's just like a little like we don't know who you are anymore and that's it. And he's just like, Well, I gotta end this. You know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I No, I get that. I, get I was that a little frustrated. I thought it was a great a great thing they could have touched on in the film. No, I I agree with you in that this film definitely could have benefit could have benefited more from extra stuff happening, extra scenes yes. included of like either expanding on certain things or like including more scenes of the same thing where it like really hammers home that point of like oh there's a disconnection here it's really turned his life upside down she doesn't know him anymore yeah he's got to go fix things yes um yeah no I what do we think of the because uh, there is some of that like. David Cronenberg effects going into the movie. Scott McCaddy. With the with the <laughs> violence going on. Uh not that it was like jarring or anything really cuz I mean I'm used to seeing all kinds of movies now, but <laughs> it was something that I did take note and was like kind of the closest thing that this movie does have in terms of a style and that like the violence is very consistently good. And it's very pulpy. It kind of, it also just kind of reminds me of some of the S. Craig Zoller movies that way, where like someone gets hurt or like there's an act of violence happens and, uh, you know, a history of violence that happens. And you feel like kind of the weight of it. I, I, with like the sound design and like the the blood effects and everything going into like the prosthetics. I, I, you have to, this movie is one of, I would say is a hurt a little bit by uh, when it was made. Because I was trying to think back. You have the 80s that was very like, you know, corn syrup and like claymation. And then the 90s, Tarantino's about the only one that did it where it was violence for fun. 
Mm-hmm. You know, this one is actually violence with a purpose, and it makes it almost a little bit more intimate with what's going on. Yes. And because of the time, I don't think there's a whole lot of movies. Now, granted, Mr. Fucking Encyclopedia of Movies will probably remind me, but I, from my memory, there's not a lot of movies that kind of take this aspect of violence and put it in like this really intimate sort of nature. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what it really holds to the title of the film. But at the same token, because we're 20 years removed of it, and I think there are more movies now like this. Right, yeah. And we are so desensitized that it it makes it, of the time, perfect, I think. Like, Mm -hmm. it really gives you, like, a, oh, wow, aspect. Yeah, like, you really didn't think of violence this way before because either the effects weren't good enough to the point where they were believable or violence was used with a different goal of it being Uh, fun and exciting yeah or you know like think about it this way too about one of the only other films actually i don't want to name it because it's very there's a couple films where you can probably think about something happening very tragically where two characters are fighting to the death a lot of the time the violence that you see is that there's five six seven guys that are getting sprayed with bullets Mm -hmm. or maybe arms chopped off it's never really just the one-on-one battle that you see and especially in, in somewhere like that you go to eat food at. You know, it's usually like an arena or an alley or something like this is just like in the house violence, in the uh, diner violence. Mm-hmm. You know, and it makes it very, like I, I keep saying, intimate, but there's like a certain aspect to it to me that when it's just 1v1 in a very social setting, like you didn't really see that. It also, it kind of, it, it, Opens up the door a little bit about where this could happen at. Because in movies, I think they don't, at least before that time, put it in a, a venue or an arena that it was like typical everyday life, mm-hmm. you know, which is another with the history of violence going on. Um, made it all that much more, I would say, more realistic, if you will. Yeah. Which I think at the time this film could hold on to. But like I said, you know, nowadays, I just, I feel like we see, you see so much more of it. We're so desensitized. It's kind of hard going back to that lens to watch it. But at the time, I got to imagine, like, this was a very intimate, or I keep saying intimate, but I'm trying to think of another word um, of close nature that you watch this film. And, you know, it strikes a little bit more of a chord, yeah. which I feel like is what the body horror guru got to. Right. It, it resonates with you a little bit more. And yeah. like you said, we're so saturated with movies now where like it kind of emulates that same sort of thing. Yeah. Something like Green Room or Blue Ruin or yes. like any S. Craig Zoller movie that you watch and the violence is like one of the points that you get in the movie where like, oh, shit, like this is what I'm supposed to be watching. This yeah. is like the point of the film right here. Yeah. And uh, I can imagine back then watching that for the first time in 2005. It's like, oh, shit, I, I've never really seen anything like this before. It, it, yes, I at least I think so. And I, I could be way off, but I, I don't really remember a whole lot of rated R films that were coming out that that portrayed it in such a close setting and a proximity that could hit close to home. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, a lot of it, I feel like, was... In a, you know, I mean, if you got to, it's like a bank robbery or something. You know, I'm trying to think of some other, like, we talk about Craig Zoller, but anyways, I don't, I'm not going to be able to pull up any movie from my, my memory. Yeah. Uh, the night is, is getting old and our memories are fading. <laughs> I've already talked about subtitles. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, I don't know if I really had much else to uh, discuss with this movie specifically. I mean, I just have my notes. Oh, the, this is one thing I definitely wanted to bring up. The kid who got bent out of shape because uh, oh, his what son the caught fuck the ball. What was that dude's problem? 
such a dumb like. Can't they do something like a little bit better than it's gym class and he caught a fly ball? It's not even like he made a great catch. Yeah, they could have like written a scene where he's talking to the guy's girlfriend and like the girl's laughing and then he sees it and goes like, "You talking to my girlfriend? Hey, little." Little gay boy or whatever. B- fucking baseball tryouts and have him like, all right, like, hey, you get a hit, you're on the team, you know? And then, like, boom. And then the kid that doesn't care about sports is like <gasps> chasing it down and like dives for it or something. Like, it's literally like, oh, he ain't going to catch that. Hey, he ain't going to catch that. Caught. I'm going to fuck that kid up. <laughs> yeah. It's like this kid is my mortal enemy because he caught a ball that I threw right towards him. <laughs> the lowest stakes to get pissed off about. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's a little ridiculous. That kid sucked. And I hate saying it about it, but then these got Which the... one? Both of them? Yeah. No, very true. Robbie. Uh... <laughs> yeah, he was. I, I didn't want to say it, but he was giving like major Robbie vibes yeah, for this like... film. I Even kinda, like the way he was dressed too. It's and, like, okay, did he just watch? Did he get like an early cut of War of the Worlds and said, <laughs> "Yes, I want this kid to look exactly like him." He, yeah, depressed. We live in a small town. I smoke dope. Vibe, just a little bit. Yeah. He's a little bit ahead of the curve. I'm but, smarter than everybody. Nobody understands me. Yeah, but like, I, yeah, I don't live in Jersey, so right. This <laughs> I'm is like, not listening to Green Day. This is like, yeah, this is the Midwest version of Robbie from. <laughs> War of the Worlds. God, I thought, and I so it, it pops on. That kid pops on, and I'm like, oh, that's the dude from uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Um, I'm like, that's uh, not Mac, not Charlie, but Dennis. Yeah. Oh, you thought it was Glenn Howerton? Young Dennis. Okay. <laughs> so I've already now mistaken two actors in this movie, and I'm thinking like, oh, this could be like the greatest thing I've watched in a while. That's funny because uh, Always Sunny started in 2005. So, oh, I guess yeah. So then he would have been a way young Dennis. I had no, I wasn't even thinking about it. Yeah. But it wasn't. It's not him. So I, no. I just, I thought it looked like him. And then I'm like, maybe this guy's got some chops. And then after you know, 20 seconds, I'm like, well, that's not him. And I was like, well, I'm not going to discredit him quite yet, you know. Mm. And then the the bully that he for no reason. Like he, and then he just beats the shit out of him. Yeah, so he's like really, he's targeted by the bully for no reason. No good reason. No good reason no, whatsoever. No real high school bully would give a shit about anything like Unless that. Unless he had some predisposed, like, this guy did more than yeah. what we're seeing. Unless they had a history, like, oh, maybe he did steal his girlfriend Maybe they had or a something. history of violence. Yeah, oh. Mm. Yeah, he didn't, not that girl that he was... You get a uh, ten points for that one. Oh, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> um, but not only that, but then there's a scene that like you can just telegraph from the get go so easily. Like they start getting into beef, and it kind of goes on for a little too long, and you just think to yourself, like this, we know this kid's gonna beat up the bully. Like, yeah. why are they dragging this out more and more than they have to? And then he beats him up. It's like. Okay, I get why they did it so they can have the scene later where Vigo goes and confronts him about it, and then they can have that nice juxtaposing thing where he says, like, in this family, we don't hit people. And then he's like, no, we just have him killed. And then Vigo <laughs> hits him, which is pretty funny. Um, but then that scene where he's beating up the bully, it's like, okay, we didn't really need this to get this point across. And also, his acting in that scene was just not great. Oh my god, they're all He's bad. like just trying oh. to he's like trying to get angry and he looks like he's pushing out a poop <laughs> from his butt. <laughs> like the, oh, the thanks. I'm glad it didn't come out somewhere else. <laughs> right. Uh, the Praise the Lord. Well, and you know, so I 
at that point when he beats up the bully, he knows his dad's Joey Cusack, right? I he's got his like suspicions. I think is it not been? I think it's be- it's before the scene where Carl Fogarty. Oh, it is because he hits the him, and then and he hits him. The kid goes God, outside, and then they have him hostage. That. Imagine if, imagine if like they get into some other like other riff, right? Mm-hmm. Whole Carl Fogarty thing happens. You know, they talk about it. He learns his dad's joke. And then they get into the fight. And now you're looking at... And the kid's like, all right, my dad's an evil guy. Am I an evil guy? Like, am I going to turn out... It, like, and I, I, Now I don't even really know my dad. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know what I've got in me. And that's not something that I do. So now you have a little bit of a conflict with the character of his own self. Right. No, we don't. We just... Straight line story A to B. Yeah. I mean... It's mo- it's just an excuse to make that scene happen later. Yeah, so which it's, is it's, it's it's able to be telegraphed so easily. Tragic. It's awful. It's awful. And the bully <laughs> sucked. The boy, my the, the, I got so mad at this thing. I think I almost I was starting to get like a little checked out really early on because they had the baseball scene thing, which is not even like great baseball scenery. Right. It's like a really two weird camera shots and it's just a pop fly and then all of a sudden he Yeah, they hates don't even him. like they don't even put the camera on the ball or like show it in the air, like show a wide shot of all the players he on didn't the field. Move. He literally stood there and threw up his glove to catch the ball. Like that's it's like okay, like this is this is awful that we're setting this up like this. And then there's smoking weed on the corner. And he had a he had a funny quip about what they did a hundred years ago. I was like, yeah, that's kind of smart by that kid. They're really, you know they're showing us that he's a little bit of a thinker. And then the other kids like you know boozing it up, about to start drinking and driving. And then the guy almost hits him, and he goes. And then he, the guys just stare back at him. Not even like they're like, dude, we'd end you. And then like meekly, I don't know, man, but they were pure evil. <laughs> like I'm like, dude, what? Why? I mean, Why? I like I, I like the initial interaction where like they get in the car thing and then they just like kind of they're just staring at them. It's like okay, they're like just emitting fear just Who are based those on two guys, right? I yeah. don't know. They're I, I can't. I think he said something like that. Just sensed evil, and it's like I don't remember it being that corny, but maybe I'm just misremembering. Go rewatch. It. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you I'll right now. It there's it's as bad as the baseball scene. That the whole that whole storyline could have been X. They could have X that and then brought in more of the questioning of who is this person living in my home now that I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty good as far as like a discussion <laughs> of that. Was there anything? Because like literally, I don't know if I have anything else. No. I mean, to me, this is just a very straightforward, solid thriller film that has some issues <laughs> for sure. But no, I'm I have a feeling the rating. Oh, I have a feeling that I'm a little bit more warm on this than you. Well, I are. think I think so. I think this is actually how you felt about Cold in July. I think you were, we're on the opposite. It's funny because well, I was making a lot of comparisons between that movie because yeah. it's it's a lot of very similar vibes going on, right? Like it's very and it's very it's straightforward. And now I know how you felt with Cold in July, where at points where you get taken out of what's going on because like. It's interesting now with what we have going on with stories in the sense that in the good ones, at least, or maybe not even the good ones, but what we're getting a little bit more now is there's a lot more, um, and I don't want to say philosophical, but there's there's more metaphors, I think, going on with what we're saying, and we're not getting a whole lot of just straight storylines. Right. You know, the the 
the hey we've got you know this hundred page script that's easily written out that the characters kind of wanted dimensional and we you know point A to point B and we got a little bit of an adventure going on another thriller I mean I think we get a little bit we're getting more character growth or character we're getting a lot development we're getting a lot of subtext with our movies yeah and I I, I really appreciate it because there's movies like and now I understand what you're saying with like Cold in July. This one was kind of that way with with me and, and what was going on. I think that they just they surface level touched on things that it's like, man, they really could have had a lot more going on had they, like even Fogarty in this thing. Mm-hmm. Imagine they give him a little bit more of a backstory. I mean, I don't know if you need much more because of the mystery involved, but mm-hmm. like if you kept him around, yeah, you know, so I know there's a lot about this movie that like I really think could have made it stand out more if it just wasn't so forgettable yeah and that's like that's really like one of my bigger issues too is that it's just very forgettable it's very straightforward that's kind of like a byproduct of it just being a straightforward thriller film with not much else going on it's like okay there's not much about this film that i'm going to remember past like a year probably not besides like how cool ed harris looked in this movie and like some of the cool pulpy action scenes yeah yeah which he's still got i mean had a knack for i mean that just yeah, I think it sucks too. I don't know. It's um, another one of the Green Mile aspects where I don't know if he just pulled straight from the graphic novel and was like, no creativity. We're it's, just going to run this through. It sounds like they made uh, some big changes, at least from the graphic novel. Uh, from what I read, Vigo Mortensen read the initial script and said, this is just pure mayhem. We need to, we need to dial this back. Let's get a good juxtaposition going in here with... Uh, yeah, it's like not the, well. It sounds like he had a lot of input in terms of like the story beats, other than just like the pulpy action. Yeah, wh- I, which, funny enough, they probably needed. Right, exactly. They probably could have used a little bit more. I mean, and it probably could have used a little bit more fucking action. <laughs> like, God, the kid sucked. <laughs> yeah, you didn't like the action scene where he fights the bully. <laughs> oh my God, dude. <laughs> If anything, I'm going to remember, uh, I'm going to probably just remember how bad the baseball scene was and that kid flipping off that guy and being like, I don't know, but they were, they were evil. What is it about kids' baseball scenes that like, we're not too fond of? Cause I did not like the one from black phone either where like the, it starts and he's like, Hey man, nice catch. You almost had me. I, you know what it, it is? Like watching Paul Giamatti and the holdovers try to throw a football. It's because actors don't have any ounce of athleticism in their body. Like, and I'm not saying that in a mean way because, like, obviously, if you have a competitive advantage in something, other areas of your life took a fall. That's why Albert Einstein probably wasn't good at golf. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just you have to sacrifice certain traits for other traits to grow. So I think what happens is is baseball is America's pastime. Well, Einstein would say it's all relative. Okay, I'll give you that one. <laughs> I really had to like find a moment yeah. to squeeze it in there. I'm sorry right, I derailed right. you. <laughs> Damn, that history of violence was a good one. <laughs> uh, but like, you know, like it's America's pastime. It's very easy. Everyone knows about having a catch with your dad or having a catch with a buddy. Mm. You know, you just it's really one of the simplest entertainments in life is just throwing up an like an object back and forth. It could be a shoe. So I think what happens is you're like, well, we need something relatable, but we also have these people that don't like it'd be like an alien trying to operate, you know, a machine mm. doing this baseball. So we'll just make it relatable, super easy, but it comes off very dry and melodramatic or just unappealing or just yeah stilted yeah 
Like, it's like, oh, I really now see that these are actors in a movie. Yeah, there's certain things in this movie going on where it kind of, like, takes me out of it. And I think to myself, oh, yeah, I'm I'm just watching people play pretend. Yeah, and that's... And, and that, that baseball scene and that fight scene in the hallway with the bully yeah. were two of the biggest ones. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, outside of that, no, pretty good. I mean, I my favorite... How about favorite scenes in this thing? I'll just say that right now. Mm. Uh both diner scenes, introduction of Ed Harris and when the guys show up, menacing. And then uh, William Hurt. I really, I liked him. William Hurt was... I, I liked him a lot, too. I, I was hoping... It that, took me a while to recognize that that was him. Yeah. Because he's playing such a different character than what I'm used to seeing him play as. What do you used to see him play as? I mean, I'm just I'm just thinking of Thaddeus Ross from Hulk. Oh, okay. But, oh, I mean... Oh, the general? Yeah. <laughs> I, it's like it's totally a different character oh. from like general military and man. It's funny too because he's actually the he's the guy the secretary in uh, uh, Civil War. Yeah, he's game. the same. He's the same character. Yeah. yeah, he just got promoted to the yeah yeah, which is actually I, now I understand what you're saying. I, I I've used to I've seen him in some other things. Gotcha. You got a little bit more of a resume than i do well and i remembered him from this a little bit like i was kind of i was excited i was like i don't remember how good he was i just remember enjoying him and it was the same thing but not enough to make me like oh what's gonna oh all right last thing and then ratings how about the how about the fucking <laughs> the, the uh the what do you call that the twist of the neck death and then vigo silhouettes like a ballerina out of the door he opens up the door. A guy rushes in. He like literally one eighty. Like, you know what? What do you call that when you grab the back of the head? Like, you, I mean, you just snap the neck. Basically, he snaps the guy's neck, but in a pirouette, like one eighty, like does it and falls out the door like this, like in his legs up and everything. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, I think I remember that now. Yeah, <laughs> so bad. It's <laughs> like. I don't know why, but I remember that imagery, and I saw it again. It made me chuckle again, and I was like, "Man, just yeah." That's a if you guys if you haven't seen it when you watch it, pay attention to that. That'll give you a good laugh. Yeah. Speaking of people like doing things that they don't look like they should be doing, mm-hmm. uh, let's get into ratings. What yeah. would you rate this film? I I initially had this as a seven out of ten. Uh, this is a this is one that for a while now I don't think I really go back on original ratings. So I like to do off the cuff. How did I feel in the moment? This one I'd only seen once. So when I saw the title, saw the poster, I was like, oh, yeah, this is a 7 out of 10. Watching it, 6 out of 10. Um, I had a feeling. I had a feeling that that's where that was going. I just, I think this is like you with um, Cold in July. It's a, it's a story that really doesn't have any sort of character growth development. I think they had a lot of stuff. And it's funny, too, because I, you know, watching infinity pool with brandon i'm like man both these guys i and i don't know if david cronenberg wrote this or if he had ties into it but i'm like both these guys have like these really rich things that are happening that they just like well we don't care about that it's about this you know and yeah it, it's almost like the focus is on the wrong thing sometimes yeah like you know and infinity we, pool especially more so i'd say but uh-huh, oh yeah without a doubt i there is a couple things in here that i thought that they could have really elevated that would have helped out this thing become not so dry mm-hmm. and yeah there's there's points at this thing i by the end of it this thing's 90 minutes and i was like all right 20 more minutes you know like i was like yeah, i just and that's never a good sign <laughs> never and that's why i bumped it down a star so six out of ten uh 
much like Infinity Pool, this is a 7 out of 10 Ooh, for me. Okay. So, I mean, I'm not really too far away from you in terms of ratings. I do have my issues with it. I do have my gripes. Uh, they definitely could have added more in terms of just overall expanding on either characters in certain scenes they could have included or like situations or give us a little more context as to what's going on. That way we can fill in some of the gaps that were made because this movie feels like some of it might be missing some elements. Um, and some of the characterization, some of the acting might be a little hokey, might not be necessary, especially with like the bullying baseball scene. But at the end of the day, I think it's just trying to be a really solid thriller with some pulpy action and uh, being led by Viggo Mortensen in a very charismatic and thrilling way. And I really do like how he performs that character. So that's yeah. kind of where I'm at. And uh, I'd be curious if I ever revisited this in the future, how I would feel. But for right now, 7 out of 10 is my rating. Nice. Yeah. Uh, speaking of ratings, Ooh. oh boy, All we right. get to play another game of reviewing reviews. And this will be a little more interesting because we got two directors, both of them with the last name Cronenberg. So I was able to get a little bit creative with yes. some of these. Um, so the name of the game reviewing reviews is i read off reviews that people have left for either movie and mac has to guess which movie the review is for so this is our first one uh and this is from imdaba i, I feel like i'm just gonna read like where these reviews come from okay might help you out a little bit might not uh this one now is, I, i've also i will say i've read a couple reviews on there so we'll see if one i'm like oh i read that one or not um some of these i really had to dig for okay probably not then um <laughs> surface level review reading <laughs> <laughs> so this one they say well enough done but not really interesting dot 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 how one views a movie often deals with one's approach to the film i made a mistake with this movie i went in Having had difficulty securing a Cronenberg movie before, waiting to get an introduction to his style, I went in expecting, based on what I've heard about Cronenberg, a stylized film, I came in expecting a theme. I was mostly disappointed on all three marks. I did, and I, the problem is I read this one. But oh, I don't really? Remember, yeah, but I don't remember if I... I okay. Familiar. <laughs> Damn it. Here's the problem that happened, okay? I read Infinity Pool reviews to help me out to see if I missed anything. I read the History of Violence once because I was like, did I, I, I had this higher. Did I miss something? Like, why did I, why is this going down? And I was like, maybe there would be something in here that's going to help me out. Mm. And I know that I read this one, and I don't remember what one it was for, though. Oh, I'm going Infinity Pool. It is a History of Violence. Damn it, damn it, damn it, damn it. Mm -hmm. Oh my god! I told you these are going to be hard. They're yeah, going to give dude, you a run well, for your I, money. I read that one too. Like I remember because I went down. It, you know, I clicked on the review thing, so I started. I don't know if it was a Metascore one or like a average Joe one, but I was like going through and I, I clicked on that one, thinking like, "Here, this is how I feel," mm -hmm. you know. And then no news, nothing on it. It just says it sucks. <laughs> it's like great, and it mentions the name Cronenberg. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I think this is going to be fun. Okay. Uh, this one's going to be pretty short uh, and kind of difficult. Uh, from Letterboxd. Uh, horny and bloody the way all films should be. Oh, God. <laughs> that gives you nothing. Yeah. I would, <laughs> like, you think about it. It's like, all right, like... <sighs> 
There's a scene in Wedding Crashers where he draws like a picture. Have you ever seen Wedding Crashers? I have not seen the whole thing. No. There's a there's something that happens and he goes. I don't know if you could hear the disappointment in Max's soul when I told him I hadn't watched. That movie Wedding was Crashers. like a classic for a while, but he mm. goes, "It's sexual and violent." That's what I think about a history of violence. I'm like horniness, no. But then there is an there's an ache. I'm going to Infinity Pool on that one. History of violence. Oh God damn! It. <laughs> You're zero for two. Oh, can you bring it back around? You've got. Who the hell would call that movie? That's like the plainest movie ever. <laughs> Maybe they're thinking of the stairs scene. They get really turned on no, by stairs uh, lovemaking. It's just the 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 gratuitous out of the shower scene for no mm. reason whatsoever. Of course, it's horny. Horn dogs watch this thing. <laughs> yeah. Probably like an eighty year old that did that. Um. So we've got four more to go. So you could turn this around. You could still come out positive. Uh, so this one is also from Letterbox. I think all the rest of these are from Letterbox. Well, then that's even plays better into it Mm -hmm. oh god all right so this is a bit of a longer one so maybe you'll have more room to move uh horny gross and boring much like myself i was extremely worried this was going to be too nasty for me in terms of twisted and stretched flesh various goops and gels but i found this largely boring that's that's got me infinity pool ding 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 it is infinity pool yeah awesome so we're we're one for two or one for three. One for three. All right. This next one reads, uh, I can't even imagine the damage this would have done to me if I was two edibles deep during this viewing. Oh, no. That's that's Infinity Pool. That is Infinity Pool. Yeah. Hey. That, I've read uh, that. <laughs> Never done edibles, but I can't imagine saying that about a history of violence. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of more of a giveaway. That was yeah. not to say it was a gimme, but like. I knew you would get that one. There's one scene in Infinity Pool where it's like, man, this... Actually, I think there's two. There's the... Oh, yeah. The initial... Well, yeah, the orgy and then the initial, like... No, there's another surreal scene that he's, like, going in and out of. Isn't that the pool scene where he's, like, in the process of being... Oh, yeah, that yeah, maybe that's when it that was it. Yeah, I, I think that's that's when that was it. Yeah. Okay, because it's like doing a lot of like cutting and colors and all that stuff. Yeah, that freak pool. you the fuck out. Well, like, like the blood, like when he's getting cloned and everything. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, that was it. That yeah, was yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so yeah, that was Infinity Pool. You got that right. You're two for four right now. Jeez, man, everyone's been. If you see where I lean on these things. Um, so this is a bit of a longer one coming up. Okay. And inter- you're going <laughs> to, I have to preface this because this is a specific type of review that we can touch on after I read through it. Okay. So an interesting idea benumbed by a very peculiar script. Impressionism cascades into a fetishism for stupor and incoherence becomes a placeholder for bravado, which is too bad because this film's most stunning and impactful scenes are actually its most lucid and interpersonal. There are certain sequences that evoke cinema du look, shot with more romance and visual depth than you might expect. I'm surprised I got through reading that with little flaws. Yeah. You th- and you think that's how our podcast should be, you know? Like, if we should be talking like that. I'll throw I in, strive to talk like this. I'll throw in words like that every once in a while. Every time we record. I'm more of a Tolkien guy. Yeah. Latolka. <laughs> QA. Um, man, f- fudge. 
That's a. I'm really leaning towards Infinity Pool, but like, there's there's a couple the lucid lucid and interpersonal. Like, there's no there's no points really that I would say are like that in a history of violence. But because I don't like how this review reads, I feel, I'm going history of violence. It's Infinity Pool. God damn it. Mm, yeah. Oh, I, I should have stuck with Lucid and Interpersonal. I was like, that's a dead giveaway. I chose this review specifically because of the way it was worded. Oh, my God. Not only because it really doesn't give you much in the way of what movie he's talking about, it really is just difficult for most people to understand this review in general because this guy just discovered a thesaurus one day and decided, I'm going to write a review on Infinity oh, Pool. Yeah, you got to go on this guy. Well, like, <laughs> I, I'm not against, like, using complicated words for the sake of, like, <laughs> creating prose i'm an english major i know what that's like but this reads off as someone who had to finish his english assignment in time before it was due the next day so he just quickly looked up funny words in the thesaurus and was like yeah i'll use this instead of yeah instead of compare sure why not we're uh we're we're matt damon and uh goodwill hunting and we just discovered the harvard yeah this guy this guy guy. reads his gordon wood let me tell (laughs) you He gets his Gordon Wooden every morning, huh? Man. It's Dang like, it. It's like that scene in Always Sunny. Charlie goes like, oh, you like your Gordon Wood? I eat your Gordon Wood. You come eat. You think you're so smart? <laughs> oh, man. That show is awesome. I don't know that scene, but that I, it always makes me want to watch it more. Uh, Megan and I are going through it right now. Ooh. We're on season six. We just came across one of the episodes that's banned on Hulu, so I have to find it elsewhere for oh, us to watch. Banned on Hulu. Yeah, there's certain episodes that they don't have on Hulu because they viewed them as problematic. <laughs> uh, who's not getting Gladiator 2? Uh, <laughs> yeah, with a that bunch, whole movie's going to be problematic. Well, with a budget of $310 million, you can bet your ass it's problematic. <laughs> All right, uh, this is the last one. Cronenberg's identity thriller might have felt clunky at times, but the early reveal, overall brilliant performances, and exploration on the difficulties of conquering the lethal compulsion for violence makes for a nuanced and thought-provoking experience. Now, the question is, there's there's so many tales to say a history of violence. Did you throw this in here to throw me off my track? Because Infinity Pool could also fit into some of those categories. That's for you to decide, McLean. No, no, oh god! I really I, like this game. <laughs> yeah, I know, and I've been, I've been led astray. I've, I've gone against my instinct too much, but then my instinct's wrong. Oh, you could even it out. You could get. I know exactly what, half of them right. Is that what I got last time? Or was I four out of six? I think I was four out of you, six. You like, were four and six. You came out positive last yeah, time. Yeah, I go over two and then. So ran at the, the table. very least, you'll get a C if you get this right. Shit. Read it one more time. Cronenberg's identity thriller might have been clunky at times, but the early reveal, overall brilliant performances, and exploration on the difficulties of conquering the lethal compulsion for violence makes for a nuanced and thought-provoking experience. I'm going history of violence. You are correct. Okay. So history of violence. Yeah, I was like, there's too, there's too much in there that, that just screams history of violence. I love that I put that last, though, because it made you think if I was like trying to fuck with you a little bit. Yeah, like, it, is he trying to get me yeah. to say this thing when the, it's actually that thing? The early reveals, the one that that's what, uh, to me, solidified it. That's what got you? Yeah. The early... I, because I there was there, there's no reveal in Infinity Pool. This was probably the most clear out of all the reviews that I gathered that 
yes. tells you what the movie is. I will say the hardest one was the first one. Okay. Uh, the the what a mess. Yeah. That one was uh and the fact that I read it too makes it even more infuriating. That made it really funny. Yeah. And <laughs> I'm glad that we did this game today. Yeah. So you like this game? This is a game oh, that yeah. I think this we can is, probably love, return back to. Well, anytime that we, yes, reviewing reviews, I love it. I think it's a great segment, and I like trying to guess uh, what other people have to say about these films. Awesome. Well, then we'll keep it going. Uh, whenever, like if I make a post and no one engages with it, yeah. that's not passive aggressive at you guys <laughs> at all. Maybe do a little bit better. I, I'm going with you guys. I'd say it's a weak year for films. I think that there's a lot of B-plus films that were nominated. Well, speaking of which, normally this would be uh, the part of the podcast where you would get to make a recommendation, but oh, we got to hold off because... Wait, can I still make the recommendation and then that way we know where it's going to or should I wait? Uh, that's up to you. Ultimately, it's your recommendation, so you do what you think. I don't want to forget it. This is why I want to do this now because okay. I have a film that I I stumbled across. I've never seen. Um, I think it's going to fit right up our alley. If you pull up IMDb, you can look at this too and just look at a couple of the titles or themes in the film. I'll get my letterbox going. Yeah, we'll see if yeah we'll see how kind it is on there. I don't really know. I, I like I said, I just stumbled across this thing, but Catherine Catherine Bigelow directed it. Uh, interesting okay rolf rolf fines is it rolf or ray fiends i are you talking about harry potter boy harry potter i think it's i thought it was ralph fines yeah rolf fines he's yeah. in this thing it's from 1995 interesting yes okay it it, it is i don't recognize where it's going no and it's a futuristic film dealing with 1999 hmm it okay. is called Strange Days. Strange That title sounds familiar. It's got a very interesting poster. Okay. Uh, Do you see the themes that it it labels? Um so let me go to Oh, I, you're on you're on Letterbox. Well, I just googled it cuz I didn't want the Letterbox ratings to like influence me, I yeah, guess. Let I, me type in Strange Days IMDb and yeah. then it'll come up. Now I'm going to say it's it's kind of it's there's a there's a contrast between what IMDb has versus what I've seen other people talk about. So it lists it under the tags of cyber thriller, cyberpunk, crime and drama. Yeah, intriguing. Yeah, and Catherine Bigelow directed it, and she's got she's got a knack for making good movies. So I'm I'm very this thing's been swept under the rug. I'm surprised. Like I. I at least would have thought that like seven or eight year old Mac would have heard about this on HBO at uh, some point. Right. Never. I, I came across this one time. And I was like, piqued my interest. And it sounds like there's some controversy with uh, the film and maybe if it's better than what it should have been, or maybe it is really good. Maybe it wasn't understood. So I think I'm hoping that there's something there, Kyle. All right. I'll put it on my watch list then. Okay. Yeah. Strange days from Catherine Bigelow. Watch and list. There we go. We got that'll be a month from now. Right? Yes. So that'll be a month from now because next episode, episode sixty-seven, will be our Oscars best picture discussions. <clears throat> so this is an episode that we're gonna do uh, two weeks from now, from when we record, two oh, weeks wait. from when this episode comes out. Uh, that what's up? We were talking about poor things. So we're gonna record on the eleventh. God damn it. 
Yeah, were you thinking maybe oh, you could get it by the 12th? Well, I'll 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 watch it. I'll just say that. I'll watch it. All right. <laughs> uh if you know, if you need help, I can I can maybe help you with some some of it. Well, we're just saying we're going to watch it. Well, we're going to watch it. <laughs> yeah. Um so yes, uh 2 weeks from rec- this recording right now and then 2 weeks from when the episode comes out will be our Oscar discussion episode. We do this every year. We discuss the 10 best picture nominees and it's an episode that we record after the oscar ceremony so all the awards will have been given out we will have known who won best picture part of the fun in the discussion is discussing some of the oscars itself but most of the meat and potatoes of the conversation is going to be around those 10 films yeah and not to really get anybody's hopes up because it's not confirmed yet but possibility of a guest on the episode Sick possibility. I'm not going to confirm it because it might not happen. But we're not we're not confirming or denying. We're just saying that it might happen. It just throwing that out there. Yeah. Um. So, uh, the recommendation that Mac made will be episode 68. That'll be out in a month from when this episode gets released. So be sure to check that movie out before that one. But be sure to tune in for our Oscar discussion for episode 67. Yes. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the Neon Crew Podcast. You can find us on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't already. And be sure to give us some five-star ratings on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to hit us up on our various social medias on Facebook and YouTube community page. Uh, Check out our Etsy page. We got some merch still available. Wintertime. It's cold still. Get yourself a crew neck. I can scrounge something up for you if you want to get your hands on one of those. Might be a minute if I have to special order it, but if I have it available in stock, it shouldn't be too far behind. Um, Shout out to Gideon for doing our music, and shout out to Lauren for doing our logo design. Uh, You can find their various social medias in the description below this episode. Uh, McLean, was there anything else that we needed to do before we wrap up? WWTHD. Bye, everyone.